Are you up for three hours of nonstop terror? Well, then welcome to a special episode of Terror Radio Podcast. If this is your first time joining me, then welcome. This is a podcast dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. I'm your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, and this is my birthday celebration to share with you all, 53 years old. Shout out to all my Generation Xers. So, without further ado, this is Terra Radio. We're going to start off with the radio play, The Shadow People, which is from the radio series Hall of Fantasy. Following that is an evening's entertainment from The Black Mass. Next will be Porchlight from Nightfall, followed by Clarissa from Quiet Please. After that, we have Knock at the Door from Lights Out, The Room from Beyond Midnight. After that, we have The Thing in the Tunnel from Weird Circle or NBC short story and we conclude with three skeleton key from escape so you all know the drill sit back definitely (laughs) turn down the lights and let's begin with shadow people And now, the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the Hall of Fantasy. Welcome to the series of radio dramas dedicated to the supernatural, the unusual, and the unknown. Come with me, my friends. We shall descend to the world of the unknown and forbidden. Down to the depths where the veil of time is lifted and the supernatural reigns as king. Come with me and listen to the tale of the Shadow People. Elaine, have you been. I mean, have you seen anything else since you spoke to me last? No, I haven't. Ever since Mother died, nothing's happened. Well, I only hope that. It came from upstairs. Come on. I don't know what to think. I only hope that... Damn it, if anything's happened to him... We'll see in a moment. There's no light in this room. You wait here, Elaine. Where's the light? Over to your left. David. What's wrong? Why didn't you leave the light on? Your father's dead, Elaine. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present The Shadow People. And now for our story, an original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne entitled The Shadow People, 
Somewhere along the line of your life, you've met them. You have come in contact with the shadow people. When did we first discuss it? Oh, yes, Brian and Elaine and I. It was in my apartment. There was only one light on in the entire place. What's wrong? Elaine, what's the matter? It's silly, I know, but I... I, th- I thought I saw something in that doorway over there. Where? Over there, right over there. Where are you going, David? Over to that archway, just to let you know that nothing's here. Huh. You see, Elaine, nothing's wrong, nothing at all. Are you satisfied that there's no one else here but us? Yes, I... Oh, I'm sorry, I just thought that I... Leave the overhead lights on. I'm sorry, I thought that... Put them back on, David, please. All right, Elaine. Look, what's bothering you, sis? I don't know, it's just that... I don't know. Tell us about it, Elaine. Tell us what's bothering you. You promise that you... You won't laugh at me? Of course not. Brian? Elaine, I'm your brother. If something's troubling you, I'd like to know about it. All right, then. The reason I was so upset was the fact that I saw someone or something standing in that archway. But Elaine, David showed you that there was no one else in here. When the lights were put on, you saw for yourself that we were alone. I'm not talking about something you... You can see in the light, Brian. I'm not talking about a human being. Then what's it all about, Elaine? In the darkness, I... I saw something that can't be seen in a lighted area. And I've seen it several times before. You're sure you're not imagining this, Elaine? Oh, I don't have that good an imagination, Brian. How long have you... Have you seen this thing, Elaine? Well, it... It started about six weeks ago. You were in Detroit on business, Brian. Mom and Dad were on vacation... I was in the house by myself, in the library. There was only one light on. I sat in the chair beneath it, reading. Several times I thought that something was watching me. I felt there was someone in the room with me, standing right in back of me. Every so often I'd glance back over my shoulder, but there seemed to be nothing there. And then... Then I thought I heard someone whispering. I wasn't sure, but when I heard it again, I got up and I I, I looked all over the house. Oh, I'm not easily frightened, you know that, but... But out in the hallway, it was almost entirely black. Luckily, I was near a light switch. I looked back over my shoulder, and, and I saw this huge, hulking shape for the first time. And I heard a voice. Or rather, the whisper of a voice. I couldn't distinguish the words, but that dark shape seemed to be moving towards me. My hand was on the light switch, and I turned it on. In a minute, the light flooded the hallway. The shape was gone. There was nothing there. I was alone again. As long as there's light, I know it can't hurt me. I know it can't reach me. You might have imagined it, you know. Of course, that's possible, but I'm sure I didn't. It was so real. So real, that shape in the darkness. It was the very essence of evil itself. There was an old man I knew of, a Dr. Hesedius. I'd heard that he knew quite a good deal about the supposed supernatural manifestations which had taken place in the world. I went to him, 
to see if he knew anything that might explain the events of the story Elaine had told us. Yes, my good sir. What do you wish? I have an appointment with Dr. Hesedius. Oh, yes, yes. He mentioned something about it. You are Mr. Drake? Yes. If you'll come inside. Dr. Asilius is in the study. Please come with me. Doctor? A visitor for you? Oh, yes. Bring him in. You may go now. Yes, Doctor. Mr. Drake? Yes. Sit down, please, in that chair over there. Thank you, sir. Now, what is the nature of your visit to me? Well, I understand, Dr. Vesalius, that you have a great knowledge of the supernatural manifestations which have occurred on the earth. Great knowledge, Mr. Drake? No, hardly that. I have only scratched the surface in my years of study. Perhaps I can help you, then again, perhaps I cannot. Well, may I tell you the story? By all means, my good sir. All right. Now, this didn't happen to me, Doctor, but to my fiancée. It seems that about six weeks ago, when she was alone, when the light was on, the dark form disappeared. And that's the story, sir. As much of it as I can remember. Mm-hmm. I see. It's a strange tale to tell. I'm fully aware of that, Dr. Vesalius. You say she seemed to hear whispered voices? Yes, that's what she says. I see. A moment, please. I have a book in my file. Oh, yes. Here it is. This is the one. Yes. Perhaps I may be able to help you after all. Let me see. This is a very ancient book, Mr. Drake. I seem to remember... Yes. Here is an account of a happening such as you relate. And we shall live on the earth... And they shall not see us. Yes, it has been foretold by the ruler of the darkness. They who live by day... Retire to sleep by night shall never know that we walk with them, that we watch them, that we wait for our chance. Only in the night will they see us, for in the daylight we are not seen. Only in the night, when the darkness grows together and the forms of the shadow people are shaped from the blackness, they will know us. Then they will know that we are their companions, for we are the shadow people. I knew I had read something similar to the story you have told me, Mr. Drake. Dr. Asilius, what can we do? Well, give me a little time. Let me see if I can find any more references to these uh, people of the darkness. One more thing, Mr. Drake. Be sure that your fiancé is never left alone at night. Be sure that there is some living thing, animal or human, which accompanies her every second of the night. For she is in danger, Mr. Drake. A terrible danger. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Shadow People. That night, the night of the day I had seen Cecilius, Elaine's mother died. She died in her sleep. When she failed to appear for breakfast, Elaine's father went upstairs to see what was wrong. 
When he entered her room, he discovered that she was dead. The family doctor couldn't explain it, for Elaine's mother had been in perfect health. A few weeks later, I was out of the house spending a weekend with him. I glanced at the clock on the mantel, and it showed 11. I can't understand why Brian hasn't returned from town. Well, he said he had some extra work to catch up on. He told me this morning that he might be late. Well, 11 o'clock, I'm going upstairs. Glad you came out, David. It's good seeing you again. It's a pleasure to be here, sir. Well, don't stay up too late. See you both in the morning. Good night, Dad. Good night, Mr. Davis. He isn't the same, David. Ever since Mother died, he hasn't been the same. I didn't realize that until tonight. It's changed. I only hope that he'll start living again. Ever since she died, it, it seems that a part of him died with her. Elaine, have you been... I mean, have you seen anything else since you spoke to me last? No, I haven't. Ever since... Mother died. Nothing's happened. Well, I only hope. Came from upstairs. Come on. You don't. Think I don't know what to think. I only hope. That... David, if anything's happened to him, we'll see you in a moment. There's no light in this room. You wait here, Elaine. Where's the light? Over to your left. David, what's wrong? Why didn't you leave the light on? Your father's dead, Elaine. <laughs> I'd walked into the darkened bedroom. On the bed was Elaine's father. It didn't take a second look for me to know that he was dead. I switched off the light and walked back into the hallway to tell Elaine what happened. And then from the room there had come an eerie, quiet laughter... In the darkness of that room was some unknown evil power. The voice itself was unearthly. There was no substance to it. It sounded as if... as if it came from the darkness itself. No. No, I don't believe you. It's the truth, Elaine. There's nothing more I can do. We'll have to notify the police. Tell me it's not the truth, David. Tell me it's not true. I'm sorry, Elaine. I wish I could. The father's dead. After the burial, Dr. Hesselius got in touch with me. He said that he wanted to meet both Elaine and Brian, that he wanted to talk to the three of us. Accordingly, a few nights later, he came out to their house. Davis, will you tell me just when you saw the first manifestation? The night Brian was in Detroit. Now, Miss Davis, you have even seen this apparition in the company of other people, is that correct? Yes. The night at David's apartment. All right. Now I'll tell you what I think. You are in deadly danger, Miss Davis. These beings want to claim you. So far, they have had no success. Only in the darkness do they have power. Little by little, step by step, they have been removing the obstacles in their way to reaching you. First your mother, and then your father, Miss Davis. Both died in the same fashion. In the darkness, death struck at them. Now tell me, do you feel their presence here in this room as I talk to you? Yes. Turn out the lights, Brian. Stand by the switch, if you please, Brian. If anything happens, turn the lights back on. All right. Dr. Vesilius, I don't... Do you want me to continue working with you? Yes, sir. All right, then. Brian, turn off the lights. Yes, 
The room now is in darkness, Miss Davis. Do you feel or see anything? No, I... Yes. Yes, I do. Do you see anything? Yes. Be quiet, you fool. I know what I'm doing. In front of me. The darkness gathering together into a huge... Not only do you see us, Miss Davis, but everyone else in the room also will see the vague shapes forming themselves in the blackness. We do not want you, Dr. Cecilius. The girl we want. We advise you to drop this case. You will only bring down the wrath of the shadow people upon your head. The girl... We want the girl to not stop us. Let us take her now. Turn in the light. They're gone. Miss Davis, are you all right? Yes. Yes, I am. Just as she said. The darkness. I, I saw it form into something, too. So did I. What are we going to do, Dr. Assyrius? At the present moment, I don't know. But it's much I do know. You must leave this house immediately. You must try to get out of their reach. I don't know if that is possible. I hope it is. I shall have to return to my home. I must learn if there is some manner by which we can defeat these creatures. For the moment, leave this house. Dispose of it. In any manner you may see fit, but leave this house. Back now to our story. An original tale of fantasy by Richard Thorne, entitled The Shadow People. spent the night in my apartment, the three of us. The following day, Brian and Elaine made arrangements to dispose of the house. In the afternoon, Dr. Hesselius called me and asked that I come to see him. David, I'm glad you're here. Anything new, Doctor? Yes and no. You realize, of course, that this spiritual manifestation is not new, that it has gone on for centuries. No, I wasn't aware of that. It's true, David. De Maupassant wrote uh, what was supposedly a fiction story about the manifestation, David. He called it... uh, However, according to the information here on my desk, it was taken from an actual case history. Of course, he embroidered the story, added a few touches to something he didn't realize actually existed. But have you found anything with which we can fight them? Everything depends upon an answer I received from a colleague of mine in Paris, Dr. Henri Renault. I dispatched a telegram to him last night. Why hasn't he answered by now? There are certain things that must be done. It will take a few days, I'm afraid. We have to wait, David. There's nothing else we can do. In the next few days, the house was sold, and Brian and Elaine moved into a newer, more modern home a few miles from my apartment. Cecilia said it might take a few days for them to build up their power. I spent the night at the new house. The lights were left on and I watched for any unusual occurrence. In the daytime, I'd return to my apartment and get some sleep. About four days after Elaine and Brian moved into the new house, I was at home when Hesedius phoned me. Hello? David? Yes, Dr. Hesedius? I hate to tell you this, David. What's the matter? What's wrong? They were a step ahead of me, David. I just received word that Renault died, or 
moment I sent the telegram to him. Step by step, they had outwitted us. For they had anticipated every move we'd make. Even Dr. Hesterius was at a loss as to what to do. He agreed to meet me at the Davis house. What did you want to see us about, Dr. Hesterius? Did you find out anything more? I'm sorry to say that I haven't. At the moment, I'm at a complete loss. I don't know what to do. But what did you want to see us about this evening? Merely to check, to see if anything else has happened. Miss Davis, have you seen or heard anything? Not in the house. Only in my dreams. Your dreams? Yes. When I go to sleep at night, in my dreams, in the darkness, I see them. And it's grown worse, much worse. I was hoping that it would not have progressed so far. There has been no disturbance in this house, but now they disturb your sleep, Miss Davis. Now, you must stay awake for as long as you can. I want the three of you to move into my house. Perhaps that will give you more protection. night, we moved over to Vesuvius' house. Perhaps Elaine would have more protection there. From there, we might be able to devise some plan of action, some way to beat those beings. For a few days, things were quiet. The shadow people seemed to have withdrawn. For a while, I thought that we might have succeeded in thwarting their purpose. Elaine no longer complained of troubled sleep. But that condition lasted for a few days only. About ten days later... They made themselves known and felt again. That night, we were in the study, when suddenly Hesselius whirled around and... Elaine, what are you looking at? Outside the house. Right where the light waves off, I see them. She's right, Dr. Hesselius. I can see them, too. What should we do, Doctor? Nothing. What do you mean, nothing? There's nothing we can do. We can't just... We can't do anything, Brian. Don't you understand that they have us at their mercy? Greatest man in my field was Henri Renault. If he could do nothing against them... What do you think we can do? He's right, Brian. There's nothing we can do. As long as the house remains lighted, just so long will they remain outside. If the lights were... To... <laughs> that sounds... Like... My father was killed. The same sound we heard, the same sound. The lights. What's happened to oh, the lights? Be quiet, please. I thought that this emergency... Candle. That's right, Miss Davis. As long as this burns, this one candle will be safe. For they cannot advance into the light. They are limited by the darkness. As long as the candle burns, they will have to remain outside of this room. <laughs> Around you, in every room of the house, in the darkness outside, we are around you. This time you shall not escape. This time we will blame you. Take it easy, Brian. I can't stand it. Take it out of here. Brian, come back. Don't be a fool. I'm going after him. Stay here. We just can't let him he go. He won't have a chance. I doubt it. <laughs> Miss Davis, I'm afraid that your brother is dead. <laughs> The wind, Doctor. Listen to the wind. I know. Yes, Doctor. Listen to the wind. You must realize by now that the three of you haven't a chance. You must know in your minds that we can destroy you at any moment we desire. 
But, Dr. Hesselius, you may still save your own life. Let the others go. Give them to us. No. No, you will have to take all of us. Shall we destroy your light? Shall we move in on you now? <laughs> as you will. Do as you will. Sorry, David. The candle is out. portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons living or dead is purely coincidental. Welcome to the Black Mass. Tonight, here is a tale about olden times, based, more or less, 
on the story by Montague Rhodes James, an evening's entertainment. Nothing is more common form in old-fashioned books than the description of the window fireside, where the aged grandam narrates to the circle of children that hangs on her lips story after story of ghosts and fairies, and inspires her audience with a pleasing terror. But we're never allowed to know what the stories were. Here, then, is a problem which has long obsessed me, but I see no way of solving it finally. The aged grandams are gone, and the collectors of folklore began their work too late to save most of the actual stories which the grandams told. Yet such things don't easily die quite out, and imagination working on scattered hints may be able to devise a picture of just such an evening's entertainment. Let's see now. There's the fire burning brightly in the large stone fireplace. On the one side sits the squire, exhausted by a long day after the partridges and replete with food and drink. On the other side, his old mother sits with her knitting and the children, Charles and Fanny, are gathered about her knee. Oh, I want to wind Granny's yarn. You did it last time. No, you did it twice before that. Well, that doesn't count because... Oh, now, now, my dears. You must be very good and quiet or you'll wake your father. And you know what'll happen then. Oh, yes, I know. He'll be wounded, cross-tempered and send us off to bed. What's that? Fie on you, Charles. That's not a way to speak. Now, I was to have told you a story. But if you use such like words, I shan't. Oh, oh Granny, please. Oh, please, we'll be Oh, now I do believe you have woken your father. Look there, Mother. You can keep them brats quiet. Yes, John. Yes, yes, it's too bad. I've been telling them if it happens again, off to bed they shall go. There now. You see, children? What did I tell you? You must be good and sit still. And I'll tell you what. Tomorrow you shall go a blackberry. <gasps> and, and if you bring home a nice basket full, I'll make you some jam. Oh, yes, Granny, do. And I know where the best blackberries are. I, I saw them today. Oh, and where's that, Charles, dear? Uh, I know too, Granny. It, it's in the little lane. It's in the little lane that goes up past Collins' cottage. Charles? Fanny, whatever you do, don't you dare to pick one single blackberry in that lane. Don't you know? There, how should you? What was I thinking of? Well, anyway, you both mind what I say. Oh, why, why, Granny? Why shouldn't we pick why them? Why shouldn't we pick them? Shh. Remember what I told your father. But, but oh, Granny, why? why? Very well, then. I'll tell you about it. Only you mustn't interrupt. Here, Fanny, you can take the knots out of this skein for Granny. Uh, now, let me see. 
sounds like a storm blowing up outside, doesn't it, children? Well, no matter. We are safe and warm inside, aren't we? Well, now, that lane. All this, mind you, happened when I was quite a little girl. That lane was feared even then, and as far back as anyone can remember. And if something that happened to your granny on that lane is any indication, I've often wondered if there was any connection between what I saw and all that about Mr. Davis and his friend that I'm about to tell you. What did you see, Granny? Yes, what did you see, Granny? What did you see? Well, you know that lane passes near to the top of that hill uh, where you've seen that old figure cut out in the crag. Well, I was passing along there one evening. I was already late getting home for my supper. But I remember seeing the currant and gooseberry bushes along the side leading to the top of the hill. The berries were ever so ripe and delicious. And before I realized, I had followed them, tasting one bush, then another, near to the top of the hill. Then I stopped for a moment. I was sure I heard something. Voices, I thought. But I, I couldn't make out plainly because of the wind. I couldn't make out whether they were coming from the top of the hill or from inside. Somewhere inside the hill itself, voices singing or calling or something. I wasn't frightened at all at first, and I remember walking farther up to see where the sounds were coming from, and the farther up I went, the more it seemed the voices were from all around me, from below as well as above. Then, suddenly, you know all those strange old rocks around the top of that hill? Well, beside one of those rocks, no one believed me when I told the story later, or made out they didn't believe me. Well, what I saw was a hand a whole arm reaching up from out of the earth. Now, they, they say that the hill had once been a burial place in ancient times and that a skeleton arm could very well be unearthed by the rains. <laughs> but that was no skeleton arm. There was flesh on it, dark and old and long nails. You can believe me or not, but I say I saw that arm reaching up out of the earth, and it wasn't a dead arm. When I came nearer, I saw its fingers moving like it was in pain, like it was beckoning me to help it, the rest of it, out of the earth. Now, I, I told you that I wasn't afraid, and that's true, until I got so close that it almost touched me. But then, 
Then suddenly a terrible fear overcame me and I ran, ran all the way down the hill. And I have never once set foot on that place since. Well now, it was only a short while after that that the events I was going to tell you about began. Uh, careful, Fanny, not too close to the fire with that yarn. That's better. Well, now, up at the far end of that lane, let, let me see, is it on, is it on the right or on the left-hand side as you go up? Oh, yes, the left-hand side. You'll find a little patch of bushes and rough ground in the field, and something like a broken old hedge round about, and the kind of gooseberry and currant bushes I told you about growing among it. Well... That means there was a cottage stood there, of course. And in that cottage, there lived a man named Davis. This Mr. Davis lived very much to himself. He didn't work for any of the farmers, having, as it seemed, enough money of his own to get along. But he'd go to town on market days. And one day he came back from market and brought a young man with him. And this young man and he lived together for some long time and, and went about together. And whether he just did the work of the house for Mr. Davis or whether Mr. Davis was his teacher in some way, nobody seemed to know. He was a pale young man and hadn't much to say for himself. Well, now, what? did those two men do with themselves? <laughs> of course, I can't tell you half the foolish things that the people got into their heads. And we know, don't we, that you mustn't speak evil when you aren't sure it's true, even when people are dead and gone. But as I said, those two were always about together, late and early, and there's one walk that they take regularly to the place on the hill that I just told you about. And it was noticed that in the summertime they'd camp out there all night. I remember once my father, that's your great-grandfather, told me he had spoken to Mr. Davis and his young friend one evening when he met them on the road. He asked them why they were so fond of going up there. Why? Why, sir, it's a wonderful old place, and I've always been fond of the old-fashioned things. And when him, my boy here, and me are together there, it seems to bring back the old times of plain. Well, it may suit you, but I shouldn't like to be in a lonely place like that in the middle of the night. Oh, sir, we don't want for company at such times. That is to say, Mr. Davies and me is company enough for each other. Ain't it so, Master? Aye. Then there's a beautiful air there of a summer night, and you can see all the country round under the moon. Oh, it looks so different, seemingly, from what it do in the daytime. Them bars there, the mounds, all over up there. Now, what would you think was the purpose of them, sir? Why, I've heard, Mr. Davis, that they're all graves. And I know when I've had occasion to plough up one, there's always been some old bones and pots turned up. But whose graves they are, I don't know. 
People say the ancient Romans were all about this country at one time. But whether they buried their people like that, I can't tell. Ah, oh, to be sure. Well, they look to me to be older like than the ancient Romans. And dress different. Uh, that's to say, according to the pictures, the Romans was in armor. And you didn't never find no armor, did you, sir? Not by what you said. Well, I don't know that I mentioned anything about armor. But it's true, I don't remember to have found any. But you talk as if you'd seen them, Mr. Davis. Seen them, sir? That would be a difficult matter after all these years. Not but what I should like well enough to know more about them old times and people, and what they worshipped and all. Worshipped? Well, I dare say I've heard and read about them heathens and their worship. Torture and dances, behavior lewd and ungodly, sacrifices. Oh, torture and dances, you say? Sacrifices, you say? Oh. Lewd and ungodly behavior. What manner do you suppose? Read about them, you say. Heathen, you say. That was the only time my father had much talk with Mr. Davis. It was around that time that people believed some sort of meetings went on at night time on that hill, and that those who went there were up to no good. And there was known to be others, besides Mr. Davis and his young man, I mean. And it was only guessed what really went on. Dances and torches, <laughs> Master. Not so close to the fire with the yarn, Fanny dear. Now mind what I say, else you find yourself going up in flames. Don't stretch that skein so, Charles. Hold it loosely. That's it. Well, now. Well, I suppose it was a matter of three years that Mr. Davis and this young man went on living together. And then, all of a sudden, a dreadful thing happened. I don't know if I ought to tell you what it was. Oh, yes, yes so please, please, Granny, please, Granny, please. Well, then, you must promise not to get frightened and go screaming out into the middle of the night. Oh, no, we no, won't. we won't. Of course we won't. Well, one morning, very early, towards the turn of the year, I think it was in September, one of the woodmen had gone up to his work near the hillside just as it was getting light. What he saw nearly drove the poor man out of his wits. He dropped everything he was carrying and, and ran as hard as ever he could straight down to the parsonage and woke up old Mr. White. Uh, parson, uh, Parson White, uh, Parson White. What is it, man? Hope. Quiet glory be, what's the matter with you? Oh, Parson, sir, come with me quickly. It's oh, horrible, it's horrible. Man. Oh, but you must come with me to see what's been done. What's been done? Calm, will you quiet down and tell me what it is, man? What have you seen? Oh, oh in the little woods near the hill. Yes, oh, yes. Oh, so I was going up to my work and, and I saw it in a clear and a white thing, what, what oh. looked like uh, through the mist. Oh, like a man. Thing. Like a man, sir. And when I came near, I saw it was a man. 
Mr. Davies, young man, sir. What? Oh, he, he was dressed in a sort of white gown, sir. Oh, yes, he was. And he was hanging by his neck to the limb of the biggest oak. Quite, quite dead, sir. Glory be. But, but, but the real horrible thing, sir, was his hands. His hands? Oh, oh, I don't think there were any hands. What? No, I, I couldn't rightly see for, for the blood, sir. Oh, the blood. May the Lord bless us and save us. What a sight to behold! A demon's work, if ever I saw on himself before us! His left hand chopped clean off. Oh, if clean we can call it. Maybe cleansed would be the word for it. Cleansed, but for the right. Blood! Blood! Uh, oh, there, Parson, oh. there, just below. I hadn't seen before. Look, sir. What? Oh! The hatchet! Oh, the hatchet on the ground the here! Stuck with blood and bits of flesh. Horrible. Huh? Some flies on it already. Oh, don't touch it. Don't huh? touch it. Do you think, sir, that this is a murder? It's an abomination. Oh. An abomination, but I think it's his own act. I think so. You see here the rock over here? Huh? He, he could have jumped from it and... Oh. Yes, it must have been. You can see the saints, the blood. The hand! Aye, sir, tis the hand where he chopped it off. And there it lies. Oh, a sight, sir. Such a thing. Oh, and do you see, sir? Do you see it is grasping something? So it is. What with all so. the blood can you make it out? Oh. It seems, it seems flesh. It seems part of a living body. Oh, sir, what do you think? God's mercy. I think it's no living body whose part this be. This is Mr. Davis's man, you say, on the tree. Ah, yes. I think we'd best, best find a, what we can of, of Mr. Davis himself. Oh, yes, sir. We'd better hurry, Come I think. Now. Come now. Come on, sir. The cottage is down there. Oh, on the hill, you see, in the, in the field. Well, now, the door of the cottage stood wide open. And the two men rushed in, not knowing what horrors to expect. Uh, Mr. Davis. Uh, Mr. Davis. But Mr. Davis. When they came to the little room which served as a parlour. Oh. oh. Bless us and save us. What oh, they look, saw. Look. Oh, they would horror. not forget oh. the sight for the rest oh, of their many, lives. Many, many, what did they see? Well. There, oh, in the centre of the room... The work of the devil's own devil! ...was a table that had been set up as a kind of altar or place of torture and stretched across his feet in clamps attached to the foot and his wrists held at the corners above his head, spread out naked, facing upwards, lay Mr. Davis. His body almost in shreds from a whip which lay beside him, a tangle of blood and flesh. But the worst of it, oh, the worst of it, the work of the axe. Just below the breastbone, the body had been sliced as far down and torn open, and inside the axe had hacked and slashed away. A part of the spine stuck up, but nothing else was recognisable except the 
blood. Oh, the blood everywhere. And the strangest thing of all... Do you see the, uh, the face, Woodman? Eyes, sir. The most horrible part. What a mark on it. The eyes staring up. Oh. And the mouth open into a terrible grin. Oh. oh! Did you see that twitch? Yes. The man... Man can't still be alive and, oh, and no, breathing. And, and trying to speak, it seemed. Oh. Both men leaned close to hear and swore later what they heard. Though no one could make sense of it, but they swore they saw the mouth move and the words barely audible come forth. <sighs> again, again. Now, Fanny, you're shivering, dear, and so close to the fire. Uh, you should fetch a woolly from upstairs, dear. N no, Granny. I'm not cold. Well, here, you put Granny's shawl round you anyway. That's it now. Uh, well, did, did they bury Mr. Davis? Did, did they bury Mr. Davis? Oh, that they did. And his young man together. That very night, but not in hallowed ground, as Parson White would have none of that, but up on the hill. And it was no proper burial either. Some of the men just dug a hole large enough and gathered rocks. Oh, only those few men needed for the task were there. They heard the bell. It's not coming from the church, Parson. No, we can all hear. It's coming from inside the hill. For the coming of them of their own. Aye, Parson. And when we dug the grave, we could swear, but for the darkness and only the candles lighting, we struck things that screamed and pulled themselves Aye, deeper into the earth. Oh, we, we've no place here. This isn't the Lord's ground. Quickly now, throw the bodies in. Cover them with rocks. And be away now, come on. And they did. But it wasn't exactly the end of the story. What, what happened then, Granny? What's that sound, Granny? Do you hear it? Ah, the sound. I'm coming to that. Well, next morning, some of the town folks passing by saw those strange black patches on the road leading up the hill like a trail. They, they look to be alive like. Oh, how could they be? But they shimmer so. And when they went closer. Oh, God preserve us. Flies. Thousands of huge flies. Oh, and look what they've been feeding on. Patches of blood from those bodies that were rolled up last oh, night. Where did they come from? Well, there's never been so many flies about. Oh, oh look! Lifting up all along! Oh, the sky is black with that. Oh, 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 oh. 
around the women, swollen beyond recognition, almost changed in shape, you might say, looking more like them horrible half-animal monsters you see pictures of in ancient books. But almost as fast as they came, they were gone, the blood cleaned from the road, and as some folks swore, taken back by the flies into the hill. Now, Charles. Yes, Granny. And Fanny. Yes, Granny. Now, I want you to pay special attention to what I'm going to tell you. You remember my saying about them blackberry bushes, not to pick a single blackberry? Yes, yes, Granny. Well, from what I'm going to tell you now, you can judge for yourselves. Now, I said those flies went back into the hill or wherever they came from, but that wasn't the end of it. Some of them is always seen about up there. And it was one day, while I was courting your grandfather, we were walking up there among those very bushes, and one of them berries, at least I thought it was, seemed to come alive in my hand. I felt the sting that couldn't open my hand. Now I can only say what I know. A numbness went over me. I heard sounds. Then something like a terrible whip. I can't remember all that happened, but your grandfather says he had to hold me from doing things. devil had gotten into me. Later, when I opened my hand and wiped the awful insect away, I couldn't tell whether the blood had come from me or the demon itself. So you both mind what I say and find your blackberries down in the hollow near the creek. Oh, but, but look at the time. Off with you, off with you to bed. Oh, oh Granny. Granny. Off with you now. Granny, can, can we have a candle tonight? A candle? Certainly not. Now, off with you and, and Granny will come and tuck you in later. Go on. Oh, oh Granny. And, and oh, Charles? Charles, don't you frighten your sister up oh. there in the dark or there'll be no more stories for you. Uh, Mother, what's that? Oh, I've just sent them off to bed. Oh, you've been telling them those stories again. You you know, Mother, that none of them is true. Where do you get them from? Well, some of it's true, and the rest... Well, it's like I take hold of something and pull gently, and the rest comes up all of its own. Mm. Well, well, I couldn't tell you where it comes from. Ah... I'm going to my bed, too. Mm, mm. Uh, you'll see to locking up, Mother. Uh, good night. Oh, I'll see to it. Good night, Sonny. Ah, yes. I'll just sit a little while longer. Where? Ah, where do they come from? Where? 
That was, we hope, an evening's entertainment by Montague Rhodes, James. Pat Franklin played Granny. Her children were played by Marion Winch and Arlene Sagan. The narrator and Parson White were played by Bernard Mays. Don LePage was Mr. Davis, and Frank Laverde played Granny's father. Mr. Davis's young man and the woodman and the snoring father were played by Eric Bowersfeld, and the two ladies who were eaten by the flies were Arlene Sagan and Pat Franklin. The technical production for the story was by John Whiting, and the adaptation was by Eric Bowersfeld. And now, good night. taking you out to a nice little place in the country. Of course, we can't promise that you'll know where you really are, even after you've arrived. The play, a first for Nightfall by Randy Brown, is called The Porch Light. Tight. 
Must be a draft from somewhere. Oh, look at that storm. Must have snowed six inches in the last few hours. What's that? Something moved under the porch light down there. Can't see for this frost. Looks like... Looks like it's... Yes, it is. It's a man. Standing under the porch light. He's... My God, he's looking up here, waving. Like he wants me to come down. What the hell? What's he doing out there in this weather? I'm over here. What are you doing? There's a man under the porch light <laughs> waving to me. Oh, come back to this. No, no, no. Come and see this. It's cold. Well, put on your dressing gown. Why don't you turn on the light? Not yet. There's something <laughs> strange. Oh. Why, why is he waving like that? He couldn't possibly see me. Why doesn't he knock? Oh, maybe... Maybe he knocked before and you didn't hear him. Could be. Something woke me. Look, he is there. You thought I was dreaming? No. What's he wearing? Looks like a jacket or... It's not a jacket, it's pajamas. Pajamas? Yeah, you're right, it is. Where could he come from wearing pajamas? Well, his car must have broken down. Who'd drive around the country in pajamas during a blizzard? Something funny. Well, funny isn't the word for No, I mean, he's standing there and... See in the pile of snow you shoveled today beside the front door? See the snow shovel sticking out? Yeah. See the shadow of it? Well, he's standing right beside it and... He's not throwing a shadow. Oh, Carol, I mean... Well, it's hard to see with all that snow blowing down there. But... Well, it must be a trick of the light or something. Anyway, I guess I'd better let him in before he freezes. Look at him waving like that. How could he even know we're home, let alone at this window? Oh, he knows we're here, all right. The car's in the driveway, the porch light's on. Why'd you leave the porch light on? Well, I could swear I... Well, never mind. I'd better get down there. You still can't see a shadow. Yes, well, you're right. It is weird. I don't understand... Go. Wonder who he is. Don't know, but we'll find out. Wait. Bob, I'm coming with you. Bob, come into the kitchen. Uh, honey, he's knocking at the door. I've got to answer it. No, wait. Come in here for a sec. Look. Carol, the poor guy's freezing out there, and I... Bob, something's wrong. Look, he probably just needs to use the phone. I want you to be careful. What's the matter? That man, I don't think he's... I think there's something strange. Here. Take this with you in case. A knife? <laughs> Are you really so scared you want me to greet this guy with a knife in my hand? Just in case. Listen... Look, he's knocking. I'll be careful. It's only one guy, and he must be half frozen. 
I don't think I need it. <laughs> but leave the knife on the counter. Bob, I mean it. I don't think you should let him in unless... Unless there's somebody else here. Somebody else? Like who, for instance? Santa Claus? Call the police. Honey, you're too used to Toronto. We're living in the country now. The OPP is 20 miles away. Look, trust me, will you? I trust you. It's, it's uh... him, right? Yes. Now, don't worry. I'll be careful. You wait here. You can see the front door. If he tries anything, anything at all, phone the cops. Oh, I don't like this. Hang on, hang on, I'm coming. Hang on to your hat, I'll be right with you, my friend, right with you. Hello, what's... There's nobody here. Bob? Bob now, where there? the hell could he... Is there somebody out here? What are you doing, yes, sir? All right, somebody's playing tricks, is that it? Where is the... The guy's gone. Where'd he go? Search me. Come back in here. I'll just take a look around the side. Hey, come off it, Carol. Stop playing games. Don't turn the light off. Ah! Ah! Hey, oh, What's going on here? What? Oh, I don't... Oh, thanks a lot. What'd you lock me out for? Are you idea of a joke or something? Bob, I didn't touch it. I didn't. It, it slammed and locked by itself. Sure. Okay, sure. Maybe the wind caught it, but you must have turned out the light. I didn't. I didn't. I swear. Oh, come on. I don't believe I you, Carol. I swear to God I was standing right behind you, and, and the light went off, and the door slammed, and, and I saw the lock turn by itself. Well, sure, okay, whatever you say, uh, except that that happens to be a deadbolt. You have to turn it yourself. I didn't touch it or the porch That's light either. impossible. Watch. See? It won't move by itself, and the light doesn't move by itself either. I am not lying. Okay, you're not lying. The thing is, where's that guy? I can't figure. Hold on a second. Where, where is footprints? Right there. No, 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 those are mine. aren't any footprints leading away. None at all except mine. What is going on? Now, you stay here, honey. I'm going to take another look. No, don't go out there again. Hold the door this time. And leave the light alone. Bob, get in here. Look. See? I'm standing right where he was. No footprints. And look at my shadow. It's huge. We couldn't have missed it. Even from upstairs. You're crazy going out there. <sighs> Hold, I'm freezing. I told you not to. I know, I know, I heard you. This is really strange. What do we do now? I, I... Carol. What? Did you... What? Did, did you really not? What? Did you really not turn off the light or... No. Hmm. Oh, I... Hey, you're shaking. Come here. <laughs> Oh, Bob, I'm scared. Take it, take it easy. Take it easy. Don't worry. Don't worry, all right? That's the main thing. Come on now, brighten up. What are we going to do? Well, the first thing we're going to do is take a real good look around. Look around? Come oh, on now, open your eyes. Bob, I can't. I, I want to go back to bed. And leave me? No, I want you with me. Sure. We'll do that, but first we've got to. Come on now, stop shaking. I'm freezing. Me too. And we'll feel better once we start to move. Now, first, I want to check the living room and then the dining room. Come on, now. Are you coming? 
Bob. That man, who could he have been? What could he have been is more oh, like it. I don't even want to think about... Where are you going? Checking these windows. Nope. All locked. And so are the ones in the dining room. See, there's nothing to worry about. The whole house is locked up tight. Well, why are you checking the windows? You don't think... You... What? Do you think he might try breaking in? I don't know. Maybe. Oh, God, I think I'm going to be sick. Hey, Carol, relax. Just relax, okay? Everything's locked up tight. Nobody could get in. There's nothing to worry about. Oh, Bob. Look, why don't we just go into the kitchen and get some coffee? My neck muscles. Tense. Call the police, please. Oh, for God's sake, Carolyn, tell them what. A man knocked, then disappeared. A lock turned, a switch moved. I can barely believe it myself. I can't understand it. It's like a nightmare. Just, just call them. They probably asked me if he landed in a spaceship. Then I'll call them. What's the number? Above the phone. Something's wrong. There's no dial tone. Is it plugged in? Y yes. Oh. Take it easy. Let me... Oh, let's see. It must be... You're... Yeah, it, it, it is. It's dead. What are you doing? I'm checking the cord. What are you looking for? Oh, nothing. Disappears here. I must go down to the basement. I, I better go down and check. Bob, no. You, you think somebody cut it? I'm not thinking anything. Actually, the storm, the lines are probably down. Don't go into the basement, please. Okay, okay. Bob, wouldn't... Wouldn't what? Well, wouldn't... If the telephone lines are down, then wouldn't the electricity be off, too? Good point. I wish I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. I wish you hadn't either. Bob, I think... I think I hear... What? Something in the basement. <laughs> like what? I thought... I thought... I'll fix that. I'll lock the basement door. There. That'll do it. Uh, I'm sorry. It was probably just me. Maybe the furnace. I turned the thermostat up. I hope I don't start hearing things. Hey. Let's turn the radio on get some music. That was Ray Whitaker and his big band for your enjoyment at 3.11 in the morning. Well, I guess it's time for our late-night weather report. Up to the minute weather from your local station, CKQE, serving the whole Huntsville region. And as all of you who are up right now at this time of the morning know, there's a bad storm out there. But that's what January is like. I guess we just have to love it, or we go to Florida. <laughs> that's not a bad idea. Anyway, the main highways are blocked at the moment because of heavy drifting. But we've been assured they'll be open by the morning. I guess all you people out there in the secondary roads better huddle down for a long wait before the plows get to you. Now, don't get out in your car, that is, if you can get out in the first place, and I don't think that's very likely. Now, police are warning everyone, stay off the road, so you pay attention now. We're getting the worst of it, maybe as much as one meter. Let's see here, one meter. That's 39 inches of snow. Whew, that's expected to fall in the next 24 hours. Now, don't worry, the crews are out, and everything is under control. And for a more cheerful note, tonight's hockey score in the... The police couldn't get here even if we could phone them. Nope, and we couldn't... We couldn't get out, is that what you... Yes. I wouldn't go out there with that man. Oh, why didn't we buy a house closer to you town? You know why, Carol? This one was so cheap. 
We thought there was something wrong with it, like it was stolen or something. It was okay last summer. It's all we could afford, and we couldn't have gotten anything half as good for the price in Toronto. It was cheap, even for up here. Yeah, well, now I understand about that story. What story? The story the real estate agent told me. I never heard it. I know. I forgot all about it at the time, but... But what? This tonight reminded me. Oh, God, what? Tell me. Well, it happened ten years ago. The guy said... Uh, couple had been killed, murdered by an intruder. Here? Here in this yes. house? Well, I never would have bought a house for... You know I never would have. That's why you... You didn't... never asked, Carol. Don't say that to me. You might as well have lied. Bob, that's... How could that's you... That's why we have a house at all. We couldn't have afforded it. Oh, any... no. Where were they? Not... Killed? No, not in our room. She was found here in the kitchen, and he... This is the odd part. Stop, please. Don't tell me any more. We're selling this house, that's all I have to say, and... <gasps> What's that? Footsteps. Upstairs. From... From our room. Sounds like... Sounds like steps on a wooden floor, but... Our bedroom's carpeted. Where are you going? Shh. Don't... <laughs> enough of this. You don't know what he'll do. If, if anybody's in there, come out, okay? We don't want trouble. I'm coming in. No, Bob, please don't. Stay here, Carol. Okay, I'm coming in. I'm coming in now. I just want to talk. Carol, there's no one in here. Get out of here. I'm not going outside. That, that man's out there. Oh, I can't. 
You've got to hear me. Now, I'm going to the front hall closet to get the flashlight, and I'll bring your coat. Oh, what have you done there? Now, Chancy, be right back. Take the knife. Oh, 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 can you... Where is it? On the counter. I need a light. Where? It's not there. Oh, no. What? The knife. It's stuck in the wall. Oh, how did it get there? God knows, but leave it there. No good against that. Whatever it is up there. Don't go back upstairs. I'm not. I'm not. He can stay up there for all I care. He can have the whole damn house if he wants. Do you hear me? You can keep the whole damn place. Stop. Stop him. Don't worry, Carol. We're going to be all right. I'll be right back. Damn him. I'll get him this time. Oh, no! Nobody. In the porch, right? It's on. How can it be on? And no footprints here. The door! Bob! Bob! Is it? Harold! Harold, open the door! Open the door! been snowed in now four days, you know, officer, and we've been driving our rigs down and plowing them out as fast as we could get to them. Like I was saying, this road's been blocked since the big storm. When did you see the body? Well, I was coming slow up the hill, and I saw like a stick coming out of the snow ahead. Thinking it was a tree branch, I stopped. I found him froze solid. Turns 
out it wasn't a branch. It was his arm sticking out. Do you know who it is? Not exactly, but I got an idea. Young couple bought the house about a mile back. Well, we'll drive down and take a look. Uh, you wait here and don't touch anything. There'll be another officer along to photograph him. Well, don't worry about me. I'm not going near him. Ah, well, look at his face. Well, this must be the place. Nobody's been in or out. Car's still in the driveway. Yeah. Let's go. How do you figure that guy got out in the road in his pajamas? Well, that's the $64 question. I say he was killed and dropped from a car. There was blood on him. Now, you don't get that from hypothermia. There weren't any wounds. I got a hunch we'll find our answer, if there is an answer, inside this house. What makes you so sure? How long you been on the force? A year. Over the last nine years, we've had a lot of calls from this house. It's been empty for the last year or so. But before this, anyone who rented it would call us to report waking up to find some guy in his pajamas waving to them from the front porch. Well, how'd they know he was there? Well, they could see him standing under the porch light. But when they went to the door, nobody there. And footsteps and lights going on and on. A uh, haunted house? You're kidding me. Well, everybody who lived here got out faster than they came in. Here, look. The front door's open and the window's broken. Yeah. Looks like it was smashed with the snow shovel there. And the porch light's on. I got a feeling what we're going to find. Let's go inside. Hello? Anybody home? Snow's drifted in. There's no heat. Take a look at here, in the kitchen. There doesn't seem to be anyone. My God. A woman. My God, look at her. Yeah. She looks the same as... As what? As ten years ago. The newspapers are going to have a field day with this one. But this isn't just a haunting, it's murder. It was murder ten years ago. We found the exact same thing. Woman here in the kitchen and the man out there even looked the same. Door open, window broken. Even the porch light was on. All the newspapers played it up. We figured an intruder. But then the forensic lab got evidence from the husband's body. He killed her. And these people? God knows. just heard The Porch Light by Randy Brown. I've told you that a dozen times. 
No, I can't prove it, of course not. Uh, you just have to believe me. Take my word for it. I can't prove he was dead. You can't prove he wasn't. And anyway, what difference does it make now? I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you very well. Yes. Well, all right. It was an old black shell of a house. A house that has lived too long. A house where the floors groaned in pain at night, where the windows shuddered at the gentlest touch of the wind. Where door latches suddenly gave up their grip and let the night come sniffing into the house to paw at your eyes and wake you to the other silences that lay around you. It was never warm there. In the winter, old Heinz kept a fire going in the fireplace in the old sitting room, but the, the logs were scrawny and the draft was bad. And, and the flames seemed to grudge us their warmth so that we shivered all through the day. We're glad when night came and we could escape to the meager comfort of the drafty bedroom. And in the summer, there was a dampness about the place. An unhealthy clamminess drifted from the walls and stirred uneasily among the ancient smells of decay that clung to the place. Well, I suppose you could call old Heinz a, a character. You said you didn't know him? An immigrant from the Rhineland sometime in the early 70s. That would make him, uh, let me see... How old? Ich war in Rheinland geboren. In der Jahrzeit 1862. That's right, uh, 1862. He was an old man, but he never appeared old. You might have taken him for a vigorous man of 60. His hair and his scraggly mustache were jet black. I suspect he dyed them regularly. And his blue eyes seemed as keen as those of a boy of 18. And he'd never been away from the house for a single night, he used to say, from the day he bought it and moved into it in 1888. And it was an old house then. Yes, I spent some very dreary days and nights in that house. What? I couldn't afford a better place to live. No, people don't go to live in a haunted house if they can find another place, you know. Before the war, when it was easier to get, you see, but 
now, well, it is almost the last. You shouldn't be so generous with it, Heinz. Oh, no, no. Good wine always schmeckt besser. Then with a friend you drink a nicht, wahr? A, a little more? <laughs> Not for a moment, thanks. Yes, to sit by the fire and look down into the coals and see images of the things past. Drink wine and see the images grow clearer. Ah, it is good in the old age. You've lived here alone for a long time? Yeah, for a long time. Long, long time. I'm used to it. Used to the nights and the little fire and the silences. Yes. It is cold for this time of the year. Listen. What's it, Louis? someone singing. So? Did you hear anything? It is Clarissa. What did you say? Clarissa, my daughter. Well, I didn't know you had a daughter, Heinz. Yes. Uh, Mr. Morvine. Uh, no, thanks. I... I haven't seen her around. No. Well, is she... Excuse me, Heinz. Uh, you will forgive me, Jesse. Uh, she's a child. I do not wish you to be bothered. Why, she wouldn't bother me, Heinz. I like children. There's enough left here in the bottle for one more for each of us, huh? Thank you, Heinz. Yes. Schlaf wohl. And I drank the last of the wine with the old man. And then I climbed the creaking stairs to the dreary little room, carrying the kerosene lamp in one hand and casting... Fabulous shadows on the peeling wallpaper. Seeing the ancient plush-covered rocking chair nodding away at me as I entered the room. As if a startled occupant had suddenly deserted it at the sound of my footsteps on the stairs. And the cold spring rain drenching the window panes. And the murmured complaints of the leans and rafters of the old house. The musty fumes of the wine I had drunk kept sleep away for a while when I blown out the lamp. The melody of that children's song flowed again across my mind as I lay there. My thoughts wandered to the lonely child that dwelt in the haunted house with the old man and the newcomer student. I smiled at myself as I thought, now that settles the question of the house being haunted, doesn't it? People have heard the little girl singing to herself in the night. They've not known that a little girl lived here, too. Well, that's the ghost. And I smiled again at superstitions. And another idle thought struck me. I wondered at the child's age. Ten or twelve years old by the sound of her voice. And somewhere in the back of my drowsy mind, I seem to remember that Heinz had told me Helena, his wife, had died... Well, was it the year of the San Francisco earthquake? Well, that would be 1906. That would be 42 years ago. And this was a child of 10 or 12. I must have been mistaken. I was very sleepy. The wine, the rain. 
was working in his garden and the early sun made the old house seem a little more cheerful, a little more livable. There was a tinge of green through the gray of the fields that surround the house and Hines told me he'd seen a robin. I stood and watched him a long time and I don't think he noticed how my eyes wandered to the windows of the old house searching for a flash of color that might be a child's hair ribbon or how I listened for the sound of a young boy singing a little song the children who danced so long ago on the bridges of Avignon. I didn't even notice that I was humming a song under my breath. Well, I, 
I teach her a little. Well, I, uh, it's none of my business. But you're doing her a very serious harm. No, no. Listen, Jesse. You don't tell anybody about them. Well, I don't know, Heinz. If they come and ask me... Jesse, listen. I, I tell you something. Well? Clarissa can't go to school. Well, why not? I, I told you it doesn't cost anything. It is not that. Well, then? She, she's not well. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, Heinz. Uh, look, uh, would you like it if I gave her a little of my time and, and taught her some of the elementary? No, no, please don't. Well, I'd be glad to. No. Well, have it your way, Heinz. I don't mean to intrude on your affairs, but after all, a, a child. I'm sorry, Jesse. I thank you, but no. I determined that if the old man would do 
do nothing about it, I would. You know I had little money, and there was so little I could do. But I did come into the town here, and I found a toy for her. I, I found one I could afford. A little woolly lamb. A little woolly white lamb with black buttons for eyes and a, a blue silk ribbon about its neck and a gay little blue flower in its mouth. Well, I hung a little card about its neck that said, Merry Christmas to Clarissa. And on Christmas Eve, Heinz and I shared the last bottle of Ben Costler Doctor before the miserly little fire. And I gave him one of the handkerchiefs my little sister Miriam had sent me, and he gave me an old stone crude with a heavy pewter top that he said came from Heidelberg. And we regretted that there was no creamy Pilsner Urquell to drink from it. Wished each other a happy Christmas. And then, in the night, I was awakened by a tiny sound. And I lay awake silently for a moment. And there was another sound. A hesitant little footstep. And a rustling at the dresser across the room from me. And I lay quietly and listened. <laughs> Is that you, Clarissa? Is that you, Clarissa? Do you like it? Birthday gift might be in order if I only knew her birthday. 
I proposed writing to my own sister and begging her for out warm storybooks that Clarissa might read. Even if she must stay aloof from the rest of the house. Heinz did not reply. Everything was as it had always been, so long as the name of Clarissa was not mentioned. But it only came in the late spring when it was cold and windy again, and the raw snow pelted against the windows and the whole house shivered. I heard her crying again in the night, and there was a quality in her voice this time that brought me out of the bed and into the hall. I called in alarm. Clarissa! I stepped back into my room and lit the kerosene lamp. And as I stepped out again toward the hallway, Heinz confronted me. What's my hunting, Jesse? Why can't you hear her, Heinz? Something's wrong, she said. No, go back by your room, Jesse. Oh, but Heinz, don't beat me, Jesse. Go back. Now, Heinz, listen to me. Something's awfully wrong with that child, and I will take care of her, Jesse. Please, Mark. In your room. Now, see, here, I... I take care of my own man, huh? I reached for the door at once, but it was locked from the outside, and I beat on it and stormed at it in the cold, but for once it held. I screamed at the father threatening every kind of vengeance on him, till at last I suddenly realized that I was being hysterically silly. In the silence, I could hear nothing but the moan of the wind around the rusty cornices of the house and the hiss of snowflakes against the window. And I sat down, shaken, bitter at myself for giving way to such an outburst over a child's crying in the night. And at last I lay down again. And in the frosty silence of the early dawn, I fell asleep. And when I awoke hours later and found my door unlocked again, Heinz was not to be found. Not that day, not the next. I tramped through the house, opening doors, calling him, calling Clarissa. There was not a sound to answer me. I found a little wood and made a miserable fire. I suppose I ate, I don't remember any too well. And at night I went to bed to lie shivering for hours, straining my ears for a sound. The sound of a child's song. The sound of a father's footstep in the cold darkness. And it was morning, nearly morning. Gray fingers of morning plucking at the frost-rhymed windows. And I awoke to see Hines standing beside my bed. two days, he seemed to have aged twenty years. He was an old, old man. He spoke to me. Jesse, my friend. What's the matter, I know how much matter, Jesse. I am dying. Heinz! It is finished now, Jesse. Unless is true, well, uh, Here, uh, uh, sit down. No, no. Hear me. See, the key to Clarissa's room. You take it. Oh, is 
she all right? Hi. Too late for me now. Go. Come on, Mrs. Room. Do what is to be done. I lifted him to the bed. I bent over him. I listened for his heart. There was no sound. Heinz was dead. Yes, just as I told you before, he died. He died there in my room, yes. What? Oh, yes. In the little half-light, I found the kerosene lamp and I lit it. I took the key from the floor where he dropped it. No. I found the room very easily. It was at the far end of the hall. I called. Clarissa? Clarissa? And there was no answer. So I unlocked the door. And holding the light above my head, I walked over to the bed. And there, lying on the bed, dressed in a pinafore that might have come out of the ten-year-old drawing in Alice in Wonderland, clutching a little woolly lamb to her breast, there lay a tiny old, old woman with long white hair braided into pigtails. Clarissa. And I knew why I hadn't heard the little song for two days. And so when the lamp dropped out of my hand and the flames started licking around the dry-as-dust draperies and the fragile old oaken boards on the floor, I turned and went out of the house. Well, what else was there to do? The house had lived too long. And so had the father and daughter who dwelt there.
Ionized yeast presents Lights Out. Everybody. because I hated her. I remember the first time we met. Jay had just married me. And we were walking along the street to his house. Oh, Ella, you'll like my ma. Really, you will. Well, I... Sure, she's swell. Best woman in the world. Is she? Well, I mean... Well, you're my wife now. Ella... That proves what I think of you, don't it? I guess it does. Oh, you and Ma will get along fine. <laughs> Will this be a surprise to her? Well, here's the house. What do you think of it? Well, it's all right. Yeah. Well, in we go. <laughs> Will Ma's eyes pop when she sees you? <laughs> pop right out, I'll bet you. Come on, Ma, open up. Got a surprise for you. Jay, where have you been, son? Where? Oh. Surprise, Damar. Meet Ella. Jay, you've brought home a woman. When she said it that way, right from that minute, I knew I hated her. 
And that's the way it was from then on. I wasn't Jay's wife to her, but a woman. Stranger in her house. And it was her house and everything in it. Nothing Jay's. Everything hers. Ma, can I use your car to take Ella riding? Ma, mind if Ella plant some roses in your garden? Ma, is it all right if Ella uses... That's the way it was. Hers, hers, everything hers. All I had was Jay, and he wasn't much. You can't blame me, you hear me? You can't blame me for not standing it. All my life I'd had nothing, and at last I was married, and I still had nothing. Her house, her car, her money, her son, I couldn't stand it, I tell you. So I killed him. The wages of sin are dead. Why do I keep hearing Pa's words in my head? I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to do it. It's just that I want to sit here on top of a ladder and think and talk about everything for a little while. It's the last chance I'll get. Oh, like I said, I killed him. Well, not right away. I stood it for weeks and months. But all the time inside of me, something was talking. Kill her. Everything will be yours. Kill her. Oh, right. And then louder and louder until my head was filled with it. Louder and louder until I couldn't stand it no more. Louder and louder until I said, yes, I'll do it. Yes. Yes. Everything would be mine then. Everything. I always wanted it that way. It had to be that way. Here in this basement, that's where it happened. Jay went to work. I came down here. Oh, it wasn't very hard to do what I had to do. I remember every minute of it so well. Every minute. I called her, and she came down into the basement. You called me, Ella? Yes, I called you. What's the matter? Somebody took the lid off the sewer down here. Land sakes alive. Now, who could have done that? Heavy iron cover like that. Jay wouldn't have done it. Is it deep down there? Of course it's deep. It ain't a sewer anyway. Covers an old well this building was built over. Oh. What are you owing about? Heard my son Jay tell you the same thing weeks ago. Yes, he did tell me. Funny, I forgot. Oh, look. What? Down in the well. Look. I I don't see nothing. What? Oh, it's your well, isn't it, Mama? Your well. Everything is yours, so stay in it. Stay in it, Mama. Stay in it. Your well, Mama. But everything else is mine now. Everything mine. And that's the way it was. Easy. Too easy. Jay came home. He said... Hey, Ella, where's Ma? I don't know. She wasn't here when I got back from the store. Must have gone out. Oh. Well, she'll be back. Leave it to Ma. But she didn't come back. How could she? Jay went to the police. They came around. They asked questions. They went away, and nothing happened. It was as easy as that. Wages of sin are dead. Wages of sin are dead. Oh, why do I keep hearing that in my head? Why? I'm going to die. Rope around my neck. Just a little bit longer talking, just a little. She... She was gone. And I had her house and her son. And then I didn't want him. I tell you, he made me sick just to look at him. 
Mama. Mama. I wanted to forget. Forget. And then one day, I got an idea. There was more room under that iron lid in the basement, wasn't there? That was it? Yes, that was it. Got free of her, now I get free of him. Sell the house, quick, get away, away, far away. Yeah, that was it, a free woman. With my looks and all that money, oh, would I have a time. I planned everything. Told the neighbors Jay was going on a trip. I said Jade wrote me to sell the place and join him out of town. I tell you, it was perfect. He came home that night. The night I was going to let him join his mama. Anybody home? I'm always home. Oh, <laughs> you said that just like Mama used to. Did I? Say, that reminds me. I got a new detective agency working on the case. They think that maybe she lost her memory somehow. You know, like you were about... All right, all right. What, Ella? Sit down and eat your supper. You want it to get cold? Oh, don't see why you don't want to talk about finding Mama. After all... Sit down and eat your supper. You'll find your Mama. You think so, Ella? Sure. Oh, say, that's good hearing you say that. Finding my Ma, that's something I... He sat down to eat. I made him a good supper. Why not? His last supper. And then it happened. We were sitting there eating when there was a knocking at the door. No. Who can that be? How should I know? Get up and answer it. Yeah. Peddler, I'll bet you. Nobody here. Then shut the door and come on back and finish your supper. That's funny. I heard knocking plain, didn't you? Yeah, kids playing jokes. Go on, eat. I want you to help me fix something in the basement. Fix what? You'll see. Finish your eating first. Okay. Those crazy kids. Man, ask it where you are. I'll go and... Come away. Wait for what? Listen. That knocking. How funny it sounds. Those kids. But it's from the basement door. No. Well, I better go see... No. Jay, don't open that door. Don't, I tell you. Don't see why not. Somebody knocking. I gotta see... Jay, leave the door closed. What's the matter with you? Gotta open it. Gotta see... No, Jay. (gasps) No. Oh, no. Mama. Mama. Ladies and gentlemen, this moment when the dead have returned is certainly a fit one to loosen your grip on that chair and take a deep breath and slow up your pulse beat. And now back to Lights Out. Ella goes on with her story. The story of the return from death of the woman she had murdered. Yeah. It was her, all right. There she was. Eyes glittering. Dirty gray old hair plastered wet around her face. Standing there. 
could see her with my own eyes. And yet she was dead, I tell you, dead. Jay didn't know that, no. He took that dead thing by the arm, and he led her into the room. And he sat her down in a chair. Oh, Mama, Mama. You did come back. I knew you would. We both knew it, didn't we, Ella? Now tell us, Mama, where you've been. Why'd you go? Yeah, why come back this funny way? The back way up the basement steps. Why, Mama? Uh, 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 Mama, you're uh, sick. Uh, oh, Ella, look, she's stripping wet. Ella, quick, take her upstairs and put her to bed. Yeah, and maybe you'd better sleep with her tonight. Keep her warm. Ella? Why are you looking so funny? Ella! Ma! Ella fainted. Why did she faint? Why? Sure, I fainted. Me sleep with that. Me keep that warm. Oh, no. I didn't wake up until next morning. Jay was leaving for work. He told me she was sleeping in her room to take good care of her when she woke up. And he went away, happy as Mama was back. When he was gone, I sat down there in the kitchen and waited. It got on to five. Soon he'd be coming home. I had to know. I tell you, I had to. I went upstairs to her room. I opened the door. Nobody there. I tell you, nobody there. The bed not even slept in. She'd never been there, never. I dreamed it. Jay dreamed it. She wasn't there. She hadn't come back. But I had to be sure. I went down in the basement. I pried up that old iron lid. There was the open well. I lit a lantern and held it in the black hole. I looked in. She was there, floating in the water like a big fat Oh, But she was still there. Well, that's all that mattered. I had piled things over the lid to hold it down, and old trunk boxes, heavy things. That's what I did. They came home after a while. He said, Hush, Mama. I said, All right. He said, Call her down to dinner, will you? I said, Yeah, sure. Oh, oh. yeah, that's what I said. I knew Mama was all right where she was. <laughs> we sat down to dinner. He kept talking about her. How funny it was that she still was sleeping. How funny it was the way she came back. But all the time I was laughing inside myself because I knew what had happened was just a strange dream we both had had. Because she was dead. Dead and floating. We sat there eating. I felt good. A bad dream ended. So this night, Jay would join his mama. Woman. Yeah. And then, just like the night before, it happened. Say, now who in the world's that? And... And it's the basement door again. Now, what in the... Mama! You! Yeah. I screamed. What good was that? There she was again. 
The water dripping down off her face and clothes and puddling on the floor. And this time I knew it was no dream. She came into the room. She sat down on a chair. Gay, talking, talking all the time. He didn't see the way I saw that her face was... Started to thunder. And Jay said, Mama, Mama, you should never have sneaked out on a night like this. Not a bed with you. In the morning, I'll call the doctor. Ella, you take Mom upstairs to bed. And this time, be sure you sleep with her. You know how scared she is of thunder. Go on now. She's soaked to the skin. I just sat there. I tell you, I couldn't move. Thinking of going upstairs with her, being in the same room with her. It froze me to my chair. And Jay said, No. No, come to think of it, I'll go fetch the doctor right now. Can't take any more chances. Ella, you take Mama right upstairs and put her to bed. Lie down with her. Keep her warm till I get back with Doc Williams. And he was gone. Gone after the doctor. I sat there, the flesh on me crawling. The doctor'd come and he'd see that she was dead, dead a long time. He'd be sure to see it the way I saw it, dead. And, and the water had... Uh, how long we sat there looking at each other, I don't know. And then her lips moved. And it was like a cold wind. And I said to put me to bed. That's what she said. My son said to put me to bed. And then I understood the whole thing. She'd come back from the dead to keep me from killing him. And, and she wanted me along upstairs to... No, no, I wouldn't do it. I sat there. Without moving. Her lips moved again. He said to keep me warm. Come upstairs, Ella. To keep me warm. Me keeping that dead thing warm. Her wet, cold, dripping skin against... No, I wouldn't do it. She thought she'd make me crazy that way. Hold me in a bony arms until the sense in me ran out the way the well water was running out of her. Make me crazy. <laughs> Something to be locked away like they locked my own mother away. Crazy, crazy. Oh, no. No, that wouldn't happen to me. She wouldn't make me crazy, not me. I got to my feet. I turned quick before she could stop me. The basement door. I locked it behind me. I ran down the basement steps. Oh, I knew how to cheat her. The sure way, the only way. Oh, that's why I'm down here now. The rope around my neck. The other end tied to the cross beam. I'll jump off this ladder. The rope will stretch. I'll be dead. Dead. And she'll never get me crazy. Still thundering. If I make noises, I choke. Nobody will hear me. And I'll die. And I'll never see her again. Why don't I do it now? There ain't much time. Jay and the doctor will be coming back. I gotta be dead then. Good and dead or they'll find out the truth about her. Why don't I do it now? Why don't I do it? Because I'm afraid. Afraid of dying. That's 
That's why I've been talking here in the dark, because I'm afraid. Oh, it, it'll be so dark. Empty. Things will go on in the world, and I'll have nothing but the dark. Why should I die? Yeah, why should I? If I left this house, she, she wouldn't follow me, would she? That's all she wants, the house, her Jay. Well, she can have them. I'll go. I'll go away. Far away. They'll never find me. Never. Oh, the rope. It's so tight around my neck. Oh, I, I, I gotta get it off. I gotta hurry and get away before Jay and the duck. I can't get the rope off. Who? Who's there? Who's coming down the steps? Is that you, Jay? Oh, you. You followed me down. How could you? I locked the door. Oh, but then I put that iron lid over you, too, didn't I? And it didn't do much good. Oh, listen. Listen, I'll go away. You hear me? I'll go away. This will be your house and everything in it. Hear me all yours again. And, and Jay, I'll, I'll leave him, too. I won't take anything with me. I'll just go right away. Get get the rope off. I'll go. You'll see me go. Oh, I made the noose so tight. I can't see it. Mrs. Kroger, what are you going to do? I'm not going to climb up the ladder. Oh, no. No, stay off. Stay off, I tell you. Don't come closer. I can't stand you coming closer. Stay away, the ladder. The ladder will fall. The robe is still around my neck if I fall. No. No. No, you, you won't make me die. I've got hold of the rope with my hand. I won't choke this way. My arms are strong. I can hold on to the rope above my head for a long time. Jay will be home right away. He'll get me down. I'll live. I will, and you'll still be dead. Dead. I'll, I'll tell them that you fell in the well. They'll believe me. They'll believe me. Well, say something. Say something. I, I know you're standing down there watching me. You, you're waiting, waiting for my arms to get tired so I'll let go. But I won't let go. I won't. I won't. Jay will be home. I can't let go. I can't. I gotta live. I gotta live. Oh, my arms. Oh, I'm so tired. I gotta hold on. I gotta hold on. Or the noose. The noose. Oh, cramped an arm. Jay! Jay! I gotta cramp my. I can't hold on anymore. Jay! I wouldn't have killed you. Jay! I can't hold on. 
again this. You really believe the dead can return to avenge? Well, I have an answer this week, a factual one, which will wait for a moment for you, Mr. Martin. Friends, remember now, if you're one of the thousands who need more vitamin B and iron... Tell us, yes, about the return of the dead, whether or not I believe that the dead could return to avenge an evil. Frank, have you ever heard of Charles Fort? No, I haven't. Well, Charles Hoy Fort was born in 1874 and died in New York in 1932. The unusual, the supernormal, the supernatural fascinated him, just as one man might collect uh, postage stamps. Charles Fort, for 20 or 30 years, collected records of phenomena which dogmatic science couldn't explain, strange murders and so forth. I suggest that, therefore, that any of you who think that this is the only possible world spend a very pleasant weekend reading these records in Mr. Fort's work, The Book of the Damned. The best possible answer to the ghost question is, who knows? And now what about next week, Mr. Obler? Well, next week a story of suspense, which is, I believe, quite different from anything you've ever heard before. Have you ever watched a shooting star streak across the sky and suddenly have a feeling of almost terror? But, <laughs> well, all that's next week. Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at the same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's weird story of the thing out of interstellar space. And if you need more vitamin B and iron, be sure to try Ironized Yeast, the one and only Ironized Yeast, with the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. Do you intend to be well-dressed next year? Then take good care of the clothes you now own because there's a shortage in many clothing materials. And to help get the best wear from your present clothes, keep them free of grease spots with Energene Cleaning Fluid. Grease spots are the favorite feeding place of moths all year round. Grease spots also make your clothes look worn, run down, old before their time. But with Energene, you can remove those grease spots easily, neatly, efficiently. To help care for your clothes, get Energene Cleaning Fluid tomorrow. This is the Columbia Broadcasting... 9.30. Do you like ice, Mr. Todd? Uh, ice? Uh, thank you, Miss Watts. That would be... Uh, Mrs. Watts, Mr. Todd. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all right. There. It gives me great pleasure to see a man drink whiskey, Mr. Todd. My late husband was partial to it. Oh, well, lovely. Uh, thank you, Miss... Uh, Mrs. Watts. Uh, do I look like a spinster? <laughs> no, uh, not at all, no. Well, you seem determined to make me one. I'm a widow. I have been one for 22 years. Cheers. It's lovely whiskey. Atlas whiskey. One of the first ever produced in Scotland. Not available in the general run of off licenses. I'm honored. So, oh, this is nice. So long since I've been able to offer my whiskey. I've had that bottle for nearly a quarter of a century. Poor Alfred was the last to drink from it. He died the next day. Oh. Um, shall we discuss the matter in hand? Hmm, rather... began to discuss the matter in hand, and Ronald Todd, bachelor, aged 33 of Lansdowne Private Hotel, 
began his journey into the land that lies beyond midnight. Biotex, the new soak and pre-wash powder presents Beyond Midnight by Michael McCabe. How to get your washing really stain-free, understand this. Biotex removes the stains and dirt washing won't. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Stains, grass stains, tiresome collar and cup stains, ingrained dirt, soil and grime. Out they all come and you don't stir a finger. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Biotex with natural enzymes is the pre-wash powder with the most enzymes to give you extra pre-wash power. Absolutely no rubbing, no color loss, no fabric wear. Use it for cottons, silks, woolens, synthetics. Use it to make new again. Soaking in Biotex removes the stains and dirt, but washing won't. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Yes, it has a sort of, well, strange, warm sort of glow. I've tasted many whiskeys. You're a man of taste. I hope so, Mrs. Watts. Hope so. Are you willing to spend the night in the other room, Mr. Todd? Uh, Mrs. Watts, can can I just get one or two things straight? Uh, it's haunted. <laughs> well, so they say. Uh, who say? Uh, so, so who says? People. And nobody's ever stayed there before for a night. Oh yes. Oh. Uh, then they stayed there. Three stayed there. Do you remember the Sixth Duke of Wallingford? Or was that before your time, Mr. Todd? You're only a young man. The Duke of... Oh, yes. Yes, of course. He... Uh, there was a scandal, wasn't there, that the family bribed some famous psychiatrist or something to signify that the Duke was perfectly sane. I remember. And he, uh, the Duke, was as mad as a hatter all the time. Quite. As mad as a hatter. And he was the same a man as one could ever wish to meet, once upon a time. That was before he spent a night in the yellow room. You mean he, uh, the Duke? The haunter and the haunted. Every man's history of ghosts and ghosting. Never beyond midnight. He wrote those books, Mr. Todd. The sixth Duke of Wallingford's passion was ghostly occurrences. He ate, drank, slept, and dreamt of the spirit world and life on other than earthly things. He was a ghost hunter. And he came here to you? He came, poor soul, to me and stayed here in this house in the north wing in the yellow room. One night... Six and a half hours. And by morning light, he was mad. There were one or two others through the years. A certain Captain Blanchford of the Fourth Hussars. He was found in the spinney, 90 feet below. He had leapt through the window. Uh, help yourself to whiskey, Mr. Todd. There were others who stayed in the room but saw nothing. Because, as I believe, they were not alone. It only happens, you see, to a person who is entirely alone. What, what is it that happened? Oh, my dear Mr. Todd, if I knew the answer to that question, I should not be offering 1,000 pounds to any man who can provide me with an answer. 
I see. No one who has experienced the terror of the room has been exactly as they entered the night before when they've been discovered in the morning. Um, Mrs. Watts, I, I do not believe in spirits, disembodied souls, life after death. I don't believe in hauntings, the powers of darkness, or the presence of evil. Except a, a certain something we call evil that inhabits the minds of certain men. I'm unimpressed by the trappings of modern psychological research. I have no superstition in me, and I'm also an atheist. I wasn't always. I was brought up a Christian. Twenty years, more or less, of adult life have stolen my faith away. Today, I'm a completely uncommitted man, I'm afraid. You're afraid? <laughs> a figure of speech. I'm not afraid. I will spend a night in the yellow room. A thousand pounds, I'd spend a night anywhere. I see. One thing, though, if nothing happens, I'll have nothing to tell you, will I? In that case, you will receive 100 pounds just for your trouble. Not an unreasonable fee for eight hours' sleep, Mr. Darwin. No, but... But I warn you, if nothing happens, don't invent. I shall know. And you will receive not a penny if you try to cheat me. I'm an honorable man, I think. Good. Well, having said... I wonder if you'd mind just telling me why you're so curious, Mrs. Watts. Why do you want to find... I'm an old woman. I've lived a long and very wonderful life. Chance would have been in my family for over 300 years. Soon I shall die. I wish to die without one regret. If I should be taken tomorrow, I would go to my grave a disappointed woman. I would not know what malevolence was present in the yellow room in Chancellor's North Wing. Oh, there's going to be a storm. Why haven't you gone to the room? Spent a night there yourself, then? I did not ask you to come here so that you could question me. You've come to earn, if you can, a thousand pounds. For that, you have a job to do. After that job, I shall question you. That is all. Would Sunday suit you? Yes, Sunday will suit me handsomely, thank you. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention. I shall lock the door to the yellow room once you're inside and settled. It won't be opened again until 8 o'clock on Monday morning. That is a condition. It won't be opened no matter what might happen. <clears throat> All right. You're the one paying the money. Oh, how often do I curse electricity. The days of candle and lamplight were so gracious. <laughs> For a night at least, you and Essence returned to those far-off days, Mr. Todd. Well, it's not the fault of electricity that they've gone, you know. There have been more changes than the mere invention of electricity. Father Doyle, don't skulk in the doorway and don't look so disapproving. I'm not skulking. I'm still hoping to persuade Mr. Todd to change his mind. It's an unholy experiment you're indulging yourselves in. Don't begin all that again, Father. He's free, he's over 21, isn't he? What on earth is there to harm him in here? Nothing on earth. Mr. Todd, I've come tonight as an old friend of this lady, the friend of her husband. She asked me to be present. I don't know why. 
Certainly she wanted the church's sanction for what she plans to do. I don't plan to do anything. Stop being an old maid, Father. What neither of you seem to appreciate is the existence of evil. Oh, Papa, I've Papa, seen of course evil. I know, I know how it works. Oh, yes, even in the 20th century. The devil's abroad at all times. Now, don't smile, Mr. Todd. I ask both of you, because I know the history of this place, to put a seal upon the door, to lock and bar this room. Father, you seem to forget. Mrs. Watts and I have an agreement, a wager, if you like, for this one night. I don't know quite why you're here. I don't object to you, but I'd rather you didn't persuade Mrs. Watts to put seals on the door just yet. Tomorrow, all right, but there's a small question of a thousand in cash first, and then you can do what the blazes you like. Well, shall we get on with it, Mrs. Watts? It's ten o'clock, and I promised myself a few chapters of Evelyn Waugh's Brideshead Revisited before a comfortable night's sleep in what seems to be a splendid antique bed. And the sheets are aired and the pillows are soft as snow. And at least you won't even have the comfort of a window to jump from. Hmm? Um, we had it barred, Mr. Todd, and anyway, it's far too high to reach. Well, that's all right, Mrs. Watts. I, I haven't come down here to look at the view, have I? Now... Lady and gentlemen, if you don't mind, this is my room for tonight. And according to Mrs. Watts here, the ghost does not walk unless the watcher is on his, uh, Todd. The room is high-beamed. The paper, yellow in color this is the yellow room, is ancient. The design upon it is of some long-forgotten crest of some long-dead family. The shadows are deep. The light comes from seven candles set about the room, one close by the great brass and oak bed, another on the mantel, above the head of the man who sits reading a novel, a very fine novel by Evelyn Waugh. Behind the reading man's head is another candle, and near his right elbow on the top shelf of a teak bookcase are two more candles. The two remaining thin, brave lights in the darkness of the yellow room are on either side of the door. Absolute silence reigns. The silence of a tomb or of a great desert when daylight appears to have deserted the world forever. Silence. The kind of silence that seems to hammer iron pegs into the mind. Silence. And then the man turns a page and... <laughs> yawns. Bye-bye his time, I think. He smiles a smile of satisfaction in a moment spending the thousand pounds on a multitude of wondrous things and then, quite calmly, without any announcement, without any movement in the room, the candle directly behind Ronald Todd's head goes out.
I feel like a new man. It's a lovely day today. I thought you had flu. I took a Grandpa Headache Powder, and I'm world better. When colds and flu are about, Grandpa Headache Powders are what you need. Grandpa Headache Powders work fast because they dissolve almost immediately. Grandpa makes all those dreadful flu symptoms disappear quickly. So, whenever you're in pain, get fast relief. Get Grandpa Headache Powders. Ah, Grandpa. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Stains, grass stains, collar and cuff stains, ingrained dirt, soil and grime. Out they come and you don't stir a finger. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Biotex with natural enzymes is the pre-wash powder with the most enzymes to give you extra pre-wash power. Absolutely no rubbing, no color loss, no fabric wear. Soaking in Biotex removes the stains and dirt that washing won't. Just soak. Just soak in Biotex. Father? Thank you. Are you quite sure you aren't hungry? Hey, thank you. Anyway, I'd never sleep after just one mouthful of cheese. Well, for heaven's sake, Father Doyle, there's a kitchen full of food out there. I don't wish for one single bite to eat. All right? <laughs> Fine, then. <clears throat> oh, I think our friend upstairs should be told to go home now. After what he knows of the place, and believe it or not, he's no coward, and uh, well, he's been up there two hours already. He's not completed his bargain yet, Father. If he's going to be afraid, he'll have been afraid by this hour. Father, I am not paying Mr. Todd for being afraid or not being afraid. I'm paying him to sleep in the yellow room and find out what it is that's caused the death of four people and turned three more insane during the last... Four? Deaths of... Oh, you knew perfectly well. I knew nothing of the kind. The fellow who threw himself out of the window... What does it matter, Father Doyle, how many people have died in the past? They're all three citizens over 21 years of age. Father Doyle, where are you going? I think I'll go and see how Mr. Todd's fair. You'll do nothing of the kind. Come away from that door, Father. I don't know what it is you're doing, but I warn you. If something bad happens tonight, and there's any kind of inquiry... I should be bound to say what I know and to tell the authorities that knowing full well there's danger in the north wing of this house, you allowed a stranger to spend a night there. I am allowed to do whatever I choose in my own house. Only if it doesn't harm another person. In this house, I have all the freedom I wish, and I... You're not exercising freedom. It's license. Bribing that man with money. Oh, for pity's sake, there's nothing there to harm him. It was all in the imagination with every one of those people who stayed in the yellow room. All imagination. Then if it's all imagination, what can Mr. Todd tell you then? <laughs> what he imagines. I wonder what he's doing now. Do atheists sleep well? I suppose they must. No consciences. At least no religious consciences. I suppose Mr. Todd's fast asleep. the door went out. 
and Ronald Todd's expression of slight surprise, tinged with amusement, suddenly vanished. To be replaced with a frown of discomfort, because... Queer? Very. <clears throat> As he reached the door to light the candle again, the little light on the left side of the doorway went out. Now there were only four candles burning out of the original seven. Mm -hmm. The yellow room in the glow of only four candles is a different kettle of fish altogether. Never a pleasant room, even in daylight. At night it is malevolent. Todd crosses now to relight the candle by the great bed. He does so just as one of those he has made glow again by the door goes out. For pity's sake, draughts all over the very shop. What's wrong with this room? Just as he's coming to light the right-hand door candle again, the two candles on the teak bookshelf go out simultaneously. Well, the best thing I can do is forget the whole business and go to bed. Last. The candle upon the mantel goes out, followed by the one on the bed, followed by the one on the right-hand side of the door, followed by the one... He's puzzled, yes, but not at all frightened. Intrigued, if anything, for a moment all seven candles glow again. <laughs> and he stops laughing as one, two, three... Four, the candles around the reading chair, the mantle, go out one after another. He begins relighting them, and both candles by the door go out, and then the one by the bed. For a moment, the room is lighted by only two candles. And then three. And then four. And then the first of the relighted ones goes out. Ronald Todd realizes for the first time that there is more to this than meets the eye. That bloody thing went out because something wet touched it. I heard it. Suddenly, it's completely dark. All seven candles are out. Plastic matches. Right. One lighted, that'll do. If that goes out, I'll just light it again. <laughs> Draft the old room. And he gathers the remaining matches together. There are only eleven left. Beautiful, really. Candle alone in the room, it's like... <laughs> little nightlight. Mom used to leave in my room when I was a kid. Because I was afraid. <laughs> Oops! Things have been so shy. With the pure, clear light. 
wonder what Mom would have made of all this. All right. I'll play your game. There's somebody here, isn't there? Somehow someone's making these candles go out, aren't they? We're all right. Let's leave it dark for a while. silence in the darkness gets on Todd's nerves and he fumbles and lights a match. At least oh. he tries to light. Ah, must be a dead match, a spent match. Try another one.
you're a nosy old devil. Saving your reverence, of course. You always were a nosy old devil. You just cloak your nose in a signification to save souls. Oh, I wondered who it was at the door half past seven in the morning. Oh, those stairs. Right. Shall you open the door now, Mrs. Watts? All right, Father Gerald. Morning, Mr. Todd. Sleep well? Like some tea? Let me have those, woman. Well, I think he must be standing there in his old cat. You in your small corner, and I in my... <laughs> All right, Mum. Name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit. I was saying it right. Stop it. Leave me alone. Let go of me. Stop it. I hate saying my prayers. I, I hate saying it. I hate it. I hate it. Stop it.
a weird circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle. of a world gone by speak again their immortal tale, The Thing in the Tunnel. Listen. That's the long moaning whistle of the through express, wailing through the lonesome night crying like a lost and anguished soul in the mountains. Listen to it. I've heard that mournful crying for ten years. And each time it reminds me of McGregor. Yeah? It reminds me of McGregor. My name's Kelsey, Howard Kelsey. I live out here solitary and alone because I like it. I hear nothing but the wind and the passenger and freight trains roaring through the canyons and the arroyos of the clear water rain, and, of course, myself. I'm a lonely man, sure. I got too many memories. Ah, oh, there she comes. She's through the tunnel now. The Statesman Express. Twelve-car Pullman roaring like a blast of thunder for home. Ah, McGregor. McGregor, are you flagging her through once more? I met McGregor by accident. In those days, I was new to this country, and I lived here with a fellow named Pike, an old-time prospector. He had a voice of sandpaper and a heart of stone. He didn't like me, and I didn't like him. But prospecting kept us together for a time. Nonetheless, we went out separately, and... Sometimes two or three days went by before we saw each other again. I first met McGregor on one of those trips. I'd come through some valley in the Clearwater Range, and just as day was beginning to fall, I found myself on top of a steep embankment, overlooking a gleaming set of rails. The air was dead silent, the mountains around me purple and velvet soft in the setting sun. It was all so still and so silent that well, for a moment, I thought the whole world had died. But just then, suddenly, I saw somebody move down by the tracks. I cried, Hello, below there! Hello! Well, the man spun about and stared up the track in the opposite direction. I called again, Hello, below there! Hello! The man spun about again, and this time he saw me. How do I get down there? Over to your left, there's a path. All right, thanks. I'll be down in a minute. Well, the whistle called just as I began to descend. A rumble filled the air. And just as I reached the rail bed, I saw the tunnel, 
hewn out of mountain rock, and plunging from the tunnel's mouth, like some black, terrible monster, roared a train. Saw by me in a deafening roar. Then when it was passed, directly opposite, on the other side of the track, stood the man I'd just called. And he was staring at me strangely. He was short and dark-skinned, and his eyes were sunk deep in his head. He wore a sheepskin coat and an old fedora, and he was holding a signal flag. Hello. My name's Kelsey. Hello. I was uh, just kind of wandering, and, well, I, I saw you, and I called, and... I work here. Oh. Well, kind of lonely, isn't it? It is. What do you do? Don't you know? What? <laughs> well, should I? Oh, uh, the flag. Signalman, huh? And telegrapher. I see. Say, uh, look, if I'm breaking any regulation by being here, I mean, uh, well, you look as if I... I was thinking that maybe I've seen you before. Where? Over there. By the tunnel now? Yes. But good Lord, man, I've never seen it before. I didn't even know you had a tunnel here. Well, don't you believe me? I think so. My name is McGregor. I'm glad to meet you, McGregor. My signal shack's just down the road. I've got some coffee inside. I'd... Well, I'd be glad to share some. Like you said, it's lonely here. Very lonely. You see, coffee's ready. Well, can I help or get cups or something? No, no, I'll get them. Tell me, why did you shout what you did when you were on the embankment? What did I shout? Hello, below there. Hello. Those were the exact words. Well, I don't know why I shouted them, especially. Are you sure? Yeah, you had no reason? I mean... Did you feel that somebody or something was making you shout just those words? No. What makes you think that something did? They might have. Who might have? Say, look, uh, are you all right, McGregor? I'm all right, fine. It's just... Just what? Look, listen to me. Don't don't think I'm crazy. You mustn't... Well, why should I think it? It's just... Well, when you see something, it's there, isn't it? I mean, it's real when you can see it and hear it. It's not a dream or a nightmare when you can see it there night after night. It's it's real, isn't it? Isn't it? What in the world are you talking about? Put that coffee down. Over here. You'll spill it. Hey, you'd better put it down and answer your key. Say, look. What's the matter with you? What are you staring at that telegraph key like that? Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Leave me alone! Let me out! Let me out! McGregor! Well, I... I stood there in the little shack dumbfounded. And by the time I roused myself out of it, McGregor was coming back. He came into the shack and his face was haggard and his eyes strained wide and unseeing. He shut the door. It's gone. 
What's gone? What are you talking about, McGregor? Are you sick or something? It was there. I saw it. Why does it come back? Why? Why? Now look, sit down, man. Calm yourself. You're not yourself. You'd better answer your telegram. I can't. There's no one to answer. It's him that's doing it. But who is him? Don't you understand? It's a warning. An accident signal. And he's sending it. He's sending it. Now listen to me. This can't go on. Stands there night after night in the tunnel's mouth and he shouts frantically, Hello below there. Hello. Look out. Clear the track. Clear the track. Been going on for a week now, standing there and shouting in such an agony. It's the wind you've been hearing, man. It's not the wind. It's him. Him. He's outside now in the tunnel mouth. You've been dreaming things. Then look for yourself. Look for yourself. I will. Well, I I walked up the tracks toward the tunnel. And then I saw it. I stopped dead. And I stared. And there, there, standing in the tunnel's mouth, wrapped in an eerie radiance, stood a figure. I could see him clearly. One hand waving frantically, and the other hiding his face. And I could hear his voice, like something out of the tomb. Pleading. Hello, below there. Hello. Look out. Look out. Clear the track. Clear the track. And again that train whistle moaned amongst the hills. And all the time I watched him, he stood there waving, dressed in what seemed to be a short coat and a beaver hat. Look out. Clear the track. There's a trap. McGregor! Bring a lantern, McGregor. Why? He gives his own light. Bring out a lantern. We're going up to him. He must be real. And McGregor brought out a lantern. And up the twin gleaming rails we moved. The lantern cast a wan pool of light about us. And as we walked, it shook madly, running long, sharp shadows at our feet. It was cold, so cold, my body shivered. My hands were as nervous as an old man's hands. And now the voice of the thing in the tunnel got louder and louder, and it was sepulchral, hollow-sounding, and torn with grief. Look out! Look out! Look out! Do you know him? Do you know him at all? No. He's not real. All week he stood there and called. Clear the track. Clear the track. He's waving his arm in such a frenzy. He's warning me. He's warning me. But of what? Hello, of what? Hello there. Hello. When we are close to him, seize him. Yes. Yes. Seize him. I'll seize him. Stop it, McGregor. Do you hear me? Stop. Yes, I'll stop. I'll stop. Pull yourself together, man. We'll be near him in a few moments. Now. I'll try. That whistle. Where's that whistle from? No trains do now. McGregor. What? Are you ready? Yes. Look out below there. Look out. Clear the tracks. Clear the tracks. Now. I've got... Why? What? He's gone. It's gone, Kelsey. Down the tunnel, quick, yes. Vanished under my hands. Like a puff, he disappeared. Come on, McGregor. In the tunnel. Come on. Look sharp, McGregor. He must be in here. He couldn't disappear like that. The dead can. The dead can. Stop it, McGregor. Now look about you. Do you see anything? You won't find him. You won't. 
He's not real. You won't find him. You won't. He's dead. He's a ghost, a specter, a vision of death. He's the dead trying to warn me. But of what? Tell me of what? Of what? Of what? And we did not find the thing in the tunnel. After a while, we went back to the signal shack. McGregor, I said. Yes? How long have you worked here? Some six months. Why? What brought you to this? I needed a job, and there was one here. The other signalman before me was killed. Killed? Yes, a train caught him. Captain Beaver, that was his name. What? Eh? What was his name? Captain Beaver. That's what they called him, and I can't... What's the matter? Didn't you notice, McGregor? Notice what? His hat. The thing's hat. What about... Kelsey? Yes, McGregor. It was a beaver hat. A beaver. He's there again. I'm going outside. Wait, wait, the lantern. I want to see... Hello, clear the track, clear the track. Look, McGregor, look, his hat. It is, Beaver. I never noticed. Look out, look out. Then it's him. The other signalman come back from the dead. But why, why, what's he trying to warn me of? Tell me, Kelsey, tell me. What is the dead trying to say? McGregor's relief came. A young, sullen-looking boy named Carter. They both used a sleeping shack a few hundred yards away from their station, and it was to this shack that McGregor took me. Well, after a while, I fell asleep for, well, I don't know how long, until... Kelsey. Kelsey, wake up. It's time. Wake up. What? What is it? What's the matter? It's time for me to go on. Oh. Oh, I feel as if I only... Just fell asleep. You can stay here if you want to. No. No, I want to go along. Well, there's the nine o'clock express coming through. We'd better go then. We left soon after. And when we reached the embankment, evening was coming down. And with each step, I, I felt my heart thudding. The question loomed in my mind like a flame. Was the thing in the tunnel mouth? Was it there? The evening express screamed again through the hills, and its pitch suddenly seemed lifted to a tense agony. And when we reached the tracks, my eyes were strained with staring. Well, we went up to the shack. Inside, we asked Carter if anything had happened while he was on. Nope, he said, as dull as ever. He shook himself into a heavy mackinaw and said so long and walked out. We heard his footsteps fading. We listened to them as if they were the last living sounds we'd ever hear. And then they were gone. And we stood in the shack, hearing only the whistle of the express coming down the hills. Maybe he won't come tonight. Maybe the thing has left us at last. Maybe. I dreamed about that all day. Maybe he's given up and I won't ever hear or see him again. Even though you think it's trying to warn you or something? Of what? Of what? What's there to be warned of for a whole week? Maybe it's all a lark, a joke. A dead man's joke. Take it easy, McGregor. Tell me, Kelsey, please tell me. Hmm? 
Am I going crazy? Maybe I'm seeing and hearing all this in my own brain. I, I can't tell anymore. I can't. I'm so tired. It would be pleasant to escape, to forget. If I am going crazy... McGregor, I... stop it. If you're mad, then so am I. I've seen the thing. Then what does it want? What does it want? There. There, it's him. It's him again. He's outside. He's come back. McGregor. I raced out after him. He was standing there between the glistening rails. And in the tunnel mouth, wrapped in its unearthly radiance, stood the thing, waving and calling. Clear the tracks. Clear the tracks. And then... Then I became aware of the faint rumble of a train. The express. McGregor, get off the tracks! Get off the tracks! Clear the tracks! Clear the tracks! I seized McGregor and I pulled him off. And it was just in time. Like an incredible, fiery-eyed monster, the express engine roared out of the tunnel mouth. multiple eyes it plunged past. And then, unbelievably, it happened. I saw the rear cars as if they were toys suddenly flung, hurtling off the tracks. A fearful grinding and crashing filled the air. And along the embankment there was a turmoil of twisted steel and fire. A sheet of flame left up. Smoke poured in billowing clouds from the terrible wreckage, and it screamed, it screamed. The night was torn with the cries of the injured and the dying. McGregor, get me a telegraph. Call for help. McGregor! McGregor! So this is what it was warning me about. Will you get to your key? There are people dying. Look, look in the tunnel mouth, Kelsey. Look, the thing, the thing's in the tunnel mouth. Chelsea, he's still calling it. He's still warning me. This wasn't it. There's something else. There must be something else. With the first sign of dawn, it disappeared, faded. And with the first sign of dawn, full emergency aid reached this lonely station. We worked all through the night and early morning. And it wasn't until mid-afternoon that McGregor and I parted company, he to his shack and I to mine. We promised to meet again soon. But it was some four days before I saw McGregor again. One morning, I heard some rapping on my door. Come in. McGregor. Hello, Kelsey. Come in. Shut the door. He's moved, Kelsey. Moved? The thing. He's moved. He's no longer in the tunnel now? No. It's left it. Good. Is it? Well, isn't it? The thing's not in the tunnel mouth anymore. It's gone, isn't it? It's not gone, Kelsey. What do you mean? Two nights ago, it moved. I don't understand, McGregor. I don't understand it myself, Kelsey. But two nights ago, it wasn't in the tunnel mouth. It appeared further down the tracks. You mean... I mean it appeared closer to me. And it waved and called to me from its new position. Last night, it appeared even nearer in another position. But, but why? Can't you understand why? It's frantic, Kelsey. Frantic. It can't get me to understand what it wants to warn me of from the tunnel mouth, so it's coming closer. Maybe its time is running out, getting shorter, shorter. Well, maybe it was only an illusion. Is the thing itself an illusion? No. I tell you, it's trying to reach me to tell me something, Kelsey. You mustn't go back. That's just it. I mustn't stay away. I mustn't. You've got to stay away. Can't you see? Maybe what it wants to tell me will ease it. 
Maybe it's an anguished, damned soul and I can free it. I don't know. Maybe it's about a different accident. Or... Or what? Or maybe it's about myself. Maybe it's a message to me. To me alone. Maybe that signalman's come back from the grave just for me. I can't go away. I can't. I've got to wait until it reaches me. Until I understand. Until I know. But in the falling dusk, we came down the embankment. Hearing at the same time the first signalings of the Northwest Limited, the statesman, winding through the Clearwater Range. We relieved Carter, and after he had gone, we sat down in the shack. Somehow, this night felt uniquely strange. Later on, I knew why. Kelsey, I have a brother back east. Huh? If anything should happen, let him know. I'll write his address. Now, stop that nonsense, McGregor. It's not nonsense. I feel it tonight. There's something... You'll let him know, please. You will, won't you? This is foolish. All right, I, I will. But nothing's going to happen. That's the statesman. It's in the canyon now. I wish I were on it. Going past, never stopping. I wish... Kelsey. Yes? Why don't the dead lie still? Haven't they had enough of living? What insane desire drives them back again? If you don't leave off these ideas... The telegraph key's all right, isn't it? Why? See if the key's all right, Kelsey. Try it, tap it. Now, McGregor... No, 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 see. He has to be able to reach me. If the key's not working, how can he? Uh, tap it, tap it. Well, all right. There. It's fine. It works fine. And... And it's strange. Where is he? Where are you going? Outside. I've got to see. Now, will you please come? Something wrong, I know. I've got to reach. I've got to... McGregor! Uh, McGregor, the key! Captain Beaver, where are you? The dying. McGregor, where are you, Signal? He was calling. Calling the thing. And all at once, I was seized with terror. I ran out. There in the moonless night, I saw McGregor walking up the tracks. Moving slowly, calling walking like a lonely, bewildered hunter in the immense starry night of the mountains. Where are you, Captain Beaver? I'm coming. Where are you? But something was wrong, because the thing was not visible. Even McGregor was aware of it. He halted uncertainly for a moment, his head turning in all directions. And you find me, Captain Beaver? McGregor, looking for you. Is something wrong? Tell me. What should I do? Tell me. Tell me. The train, McGregor! The train! And then suddenly, as if it were a trick of magic, the air flared luridly beside McGregor, and the thing stood there. McGregor touched it. Captain Beaver. Captain Beaver, I'm here. What is it? Tell me. What are you trying to tell me? Look out. the track. the track. And again the whistle blasted the air. I saw McGregor staring, fixedly. Face to face with the thing, as if he were listening. I saw the thing waving and shouting, but all at once, I did not hear its words. And I knew. I knew that it was speaking to McGregor. Now, now I know what the thing was trying to warn McGregor of. And McGregor knew it, too. He found it out too late. The train and his own death. 
saw McGregor's face, contort with horror, as he listened to the thing. And then suddenly he spun around, staring wild with fear at the tunnel. And plunging like a cyclopean-eyed monster, the train roared down. The whole picture in that moment burned into my brain. The thunderous locomotive, McGregor transfixed with horror, and the eerie, gesticulating thing. And then the engine was upon it. They stopped the train a few hundred yards below the accident. But there was nothing much to find and less to recognize. I stood unmoving for a while. This was what the thing had tried to warn McGregor of. This. His own death. The kind of accident that had occurred to the thing itself once upon a time. I remember still the last time I saw it. It stood where the train had struck McGregor down... Wrapped in its own radiance, holding its bowed head in its hand as if weeping, grieving that its warning had so tragically failed. Ah, listen to it. Listen to it. Forlorn and sad. Go ahead. Blow, engineer. Blow. Lament for McGregor. Sorrow for McGregor. Even the dead the ghost of Captain Beaver grieved. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought you the story, The Thing in the Tunnel. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have heard another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Bellkeeper, toll the bell. Be here in this lonely cave by the restless sea once again next time for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape! Escape! Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight we escape to a lonely lighthouse of the steaming jungle coast of French Guiana and a nightmare world of terror and violence. As George Toudouze describes it in his hair-raising tale, Three Skeleton Key. Picture this place. 
a gray tapering cylinder, welded by iron rods and concrete to the key itself, a bare black rock, 150 feet long, maybe 40 wide. That's at low tide. At high tide, just the light, rising 110 feet straight up out of the ocean. And all about it, the churning water. Gray-green, scum-dappled, warm as soup, and swarming with gigantic bat-like devilfish, great violet schools of Portuguese man-o-war, and, yes, sharks. The big ones, the 15-footers. And as if this wasn't enough, there was a hot, dank, rotten-smelling wind that came at us day and night off the jungle swamps of the mainland. A wind that smelled like death. Set in the base of the light was a watertight bronze door. And in you went. And up. Yes, up and up. And round and round. Past the tanks of oil and the coils of rope, cases of wicks, racks of lanterns, sacks of spuds, and cartons and cans. And up and up and up. Round and round. Over the light storeroom was the food storeroom. And over the food storeroom was the bunk room where the three of us slept. And over the bunk room was the living and cooking room. And over the living and cooking room was the light. She was a beauty. Balanced like a ballerina on the glistening steel axle of her rotary mechanism. At night, you'd lie there on the stone deck of the gallery with the light revolving smoothly and quietly over your head, easing her bright white eye 360 degrees around the horizon. You'd lie there watching to see that the feeders kept working, that everything ran right. It wouldn't be bad. The other two fellows snoring in their sacks two levels down... You'd smoke your pipe to kill the stink of the wind. And it wouldn't be bad. About those other two, Louis and Auguste, what a pair. Louis, he was head man. Was a big fellow from the Basque country. Black beard, little hard black eyes, and a pair of arms that... I tell you, those arms were as big around as my legs. Yes, head man he was. And what word he let go was law. Silent fellow, and although I spent my first two weeks trying to strike up a real conversation, the most I could ever get out of him was... Uh, I took up this profession because I don't like people. They talk too much. It's quiet work, light tending. Let's keep it that way. You're getting to be as bad as August. I thought maybe for once they'd send me somebody that was who would Louis. And when he accused me of becoming like August, I quieted down because August was the talkingest man I've ever met, the talkingest and the ugliest. He was hunchbacked, stood four feet high, had red hair and big blue eyes. 
It seems he'd been an actor in Paris. Over 200 different productions, dear boy, at the Grand Guignol. Oh, but it was monstrous horrible. The way we used to scare the audience, I, I was hated. Yes, yes, they used to throw things and hiss and bare their teeth at me. Finally, it got too bad. I couldn't stand it any longer. I gave up the theater. My nerves, you understand. Yes, gave it up completely. I really did. I couldn't. It all started one morning at 2.30. I was on watch, lying on the cool stone deck, pulling on my pipe, staring out at the blackness, the phosphorescent combers and the big yellow stars, when, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed something show up for a second, something the light had touched, far off. I waited for her to come around again, and when she did, there it was. Master, a big one, about a half mile off, and coming down out of the north-northwest, coming straight for us. You must understand, our light was where it was for a very good reason. Dangerous submerged reefs surrounded us and ships kept clear. But this one, this sailing vessel, was coming straight on. I went over to the gallery door and yelled down. the glasses out now. I couldn't read her name, but I could see her quite plainly, all sails set, the foam creaming away under her bow, her beautiful lines. A Dutch ship, I guessed her. Why didn't she turn? Every time it passed, our light hit her with the glare of day. Ship? Where? North, northwest. The light will touch her in a moment. Uh, oh, can't you see us? Look at her. She just keeps coming on. The square heads. What is it? What is it? Watch. North, northwest. Ah. I know. I know what it is. What? The Dutchman. The Flying Dutchman. We did a play about her. What? Oh, what a performance. You ghastly galleon. Hag-ridden, curse-driven. Must oh, on. shut up, will you? Yeah, she's laughing. Yes. It's a sloppy way to come about. She's derelict, that's it. Derelict? Abandoned. Crew left her for some reason or another. But instead of sinking, she's gone on, running before every wind. She'll not run long. Not with his reefs to break her up. A beautiful ship. Now, why would men leave a beautiful ship like that? She didn't ram us, although we all expected it. But as we waited for the crash, she luffed again, caught some odd gust and went about. We watched her the rest of those black hours, peeling and rocking, pushed and pulled by every stray wind, every freak current. Watched her until the dawn came, till the sea turned from black to pearly gray. And on she came again, heading for us. We all had our glasses trained on her now. August, you can kill the light. Right, Chief. She doesn't look so good by daylight. Think she'll ground this time? I say, do you think she'll ground this time? This is impossible. Absolutely impossible. What? Here, take my glasses. They're better than yours. All right. What is it, your... I had to focus. And then... My breath froze in my throat. The decks were swarming with a dark brown carpet... that looked like a gigantic fungus... but undulating... 
And on the masts and yards, the guys and all, were hundreds. No thousands, no millions. I don't know. An inestimable number of tremendous rats. See them? Yes. I see them. Now we know why she's derelict. Yes, now we know. What are you two doing? Here, give me a look. Yes, give him the glasses. Take a good look, chatterbox. Give you something to talk about. She's still heading for us. Yes. If she's going to turn, she'd better turn soon. Suppose she doesn't. You mean suppose she piles up on the key? It's low tide. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, where's all the conversation, August? Huh? Here, you want the glasses again? You want another look? No. No. She's still coming on. Go away. Go away. Turn, will you? Turn, I say. I pray you turn. Swimming. Sure, they're swimming. Those are ship's rats. But they're swimming for the rocks. The door below. It's open. Well, well come on. And down we went, racing down the stone stairs, taking them three and four at a time. Scared? You bet we were scared. August, you get the windows. Maybe they can climb. We don't know. Right, Chief. But hurry. Hurry. Look. You see them? No. Oh, yes, I do. Up at the other end of the rock. Look at them. Millions. Yeah, they smell us. Here they come. Oh, close the door. I can't. Stop. Here, let me. Oh, you. Yeah. Made it. Holy. That was close. Right. One got in. Look. There. Well, get him. Watch it. Catch him. What a brute. He was as big as a tomcat. Bigger. And his eyes were wild and red. His teeth long and sharp and yellow. He went for us, starving ravenous. And we fought him. Fought that one rat all over the room. It was... Oh, believe me, I don't exaggerate. It was like fighting a panther. Uh, I got it. We'd better get aloft. Yeah. We ran up the winding staircase. We passed the tiny windows of the various levels. And at every one was a thick, wriggling, screaming curtain of brown fur. I was ahead of Louis, and I dreaded each successive level. Suppose they had found a way in. Look at them. Oh, will you look at them? It's a nightmare. Will you look at them? The air of the gallery was thick and fetid with the stink of them. The light was dim, brown filtered through the crawling mass that swarmed over the glass, all about us. We couldn't see the sky. Nothing. Nothing but them. Their red eyes, their claws, their wriggling, hairy snouts, and their teeth. The rats. They screamed and howled and threw themselves against the glass. They were starving. And we three... We stood very quietly. Oh, very, very quietly... In the center of the glass room, under our beautiful light, and we waited. What can we do? What can we do, Chief? Take it easy. Take it easy. I, I, I can't. I just can't. Won't do any good. To, it won't do any good to stand here and shake. That's right. Go away. Go away. Do you hear me? <laughs> 
They won't go away. Not until. Felicity! Not until. What? Not until they've been fed. can take just so much horror, and then you get used to it. And they were interesting to watch, you know. They couldn't understand the glass. They could see us, and they could rush at us. But that thin, invisible barrier held them off, stopped them. From time to time, we caught a glimpse of the rocks below. More rats down there, swarming brown velvet in the bright tropical sunlight. And then the tide began to rise. Only it had drowned some of them. Ship's rats don't drown. <laughs> no, sir. You can't drown one of them. <laughs> They're all climbing up the tower. This bunch around us is getting thicker. Uh, say, what's the time? Quarter of six. You've got first watch, Sean. Right. Wake me at ten. I will. Come along, Argo. It was getting dark. One side of the room was lit a soft, filtered red. Sunset through the rats. Oh, very pretty. I set the wicks, checked my fuel, and then lit the lamp. It caught them, lit them in their gigantic wriggling web of pale, hairless bellies, twitching red tails, bright eyes. And then I started the rotary motor. The light drove them mad. As she swung slowly and smoothly about, she blinded them in the fierce, stabbing bar of light, moving continually about, ever turning, ever touching, ever moving around and around. And they, twitching and shuddering, eyes flaming when they were struck by the light, the bright light moving. And behind, on the dark side of the room, so close, so close, I dared not turn my back. But you can't help turning your back when you're in a room made of glass. On the dark side of the room, you couldn't see them, but only their eyes. Thousands of points of blank red light, blinking and twinkling like the stars of hell. And when I came up into the gallery early the next morning, there stood Auguste, his back to me. He was bowing to the rats. Waving his arms and making a speech. Dear, dear audience, I am going to play once again that magnificent role which made me the toast of the Paris theater. Prelati, the evil genius of the medieval underworld. I am he who did guide the dark soul of Marichal into the nether I stood staring at him, horror struck. (laughs) But he didn't notice me. The man had gone mad. He kept turning, telling his stories to all the rats, leaving no one out. August! August! Another one, a late summer. Take a seat on the aisle, dear patron. Oh, stop it, stop it. The bloodstained monster was my partner in iniquity. He went on bowing and scraping to the rats, his big blue eyes rolling and winking, his wild red hair waving about him. I grabbed him by the arms and cracked his face. He looked at me like a child, and then his face screwed up. He looked as though he were about to cry. Go below. Go on. Oh, very well, then. Later, my dear audience, later. Matinee today. 
Sure. He was crazy. But I guess we all were. A few hours later, he came back up and caught Louie and me teasing the rats. Yes. Sounds horrible. It was fun. We would get right up against the glass and make faces at them. It drove them crazy. They would scratch away, trying to get at our eyes. Louie was even cuter about it. He'd pull a piece of bread out of his pocket and press it against the glass. The rats would scramble into a solid ball, biting each other, clustering like grapes. From time to time, a whole knot of them would slip and fall the hundred and ten feet to the surf below. Look, look at the sharks. They're eating them. Those sharks are our friends. Ah. Here, here, I'll get another bunch together. Here, my beauties. Ah, uh, that's it. File up. Kill each other, huh? Ah, <laughs> uh, there they go. August joined in, too. Very ingenious, August. He learned that if he spread-eagled himself against the glass, they'd bunch and bundle against his figure. Then he'd leap back. Look! My portrait in rats! <laughs> It went on all day. And then... I was lying in bed. It was about midnight. I was very tired and I was just beginning to fall off to sleep... when I became conscious of a new sound. I couldn't figure it at first. I got up, lit the lamp and went to the window. Even as I looked out... I saw one of the panes begin to sag in... They had eaten the wood away. Louis, come quick! What? What is it? They found a way in! I held the glass with my hand. Now they were all going crazy, and assured of the success of this maneuver, were all nibbling away at the wood. Louis ran below and then returned with a large sheet of tin. We spread it against the window and hammered it into place. Even as we did so, we felt the heavy bodies thudding against the other side as the window gave way. There! That on a hole. If it doesn't, we're done for. Rats can't eat tin. No, they can't. But what was that? I don't know. Came from below. The storeroom window. Yeah. Uh, they're in. We're swarming up the stairs. Off the trap, right? Yeah. Uh, two of them got in. Let's go after them. We didn't have to go after them. They came at us. I leaped to one side and grabbed a marlin spike, swung, and smashed one in midair. No! I whirled to see Louis with the other. It had ripped his hand open and the blood was pouring out. He held his hand aloft and kicked at the snarling rat. I stepped and swung and got him. Oh, my hands! He got my hands! That's both of them, Louis. I'll get you something to tie that up. Blood! Look at it! My blood! I'm bleeding! Don't worry about it, Louis. Here! I'll wind this kerchief around it. It'll be okay. There. There, that's not bad. Just the flesh. And then I became conscious of a new sound. They were gnawing their way through the wooden trap door. I watched the wood, fascinated. And even as I did, it began to give way. And a bristling, whiskery nose showed through. Louis! We've got to go up! Uh, 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 
The next level was the living quarters and kitchen. I slammed the trap there, but it too was wood. Oh, my blood. What are we going to do? I don't know. They'll be through this one in a minute. To the gallery. The trap door in the gallery is metal. Good. Come on. We made it. lay across the trapdoor, exhausted, while below us the rats took over the entire tower. I could hear them howling and fighting over our food supply, our water, our leather. And all about us, the others screamed and glared in at us, swayed in a tangled mass, hypnotized by the ever-turning light. By morning, the air in the little room was horrible. Until now... We'd been getting air from the tower below. Now that was sealed off. And so was all our food and water. We lay exhausted, panting, waiting, waiting. And the hours crawled on. I was almost dozing from fatigue when I saw a sight that brought me too fast. Would you like to come in, my beauties? Would you? I hold the powers of life and death, and I can let you in, you know. August was standing by the glass, and in one hand he held a big wrench. He was tapping the glass gently, not quite hard enough to break it. I eased myself to my feet, and slowly, very slowly, tiptoed toward him. All I have to do is tap just a little harder and... Uh. I found a coil of wire in the toolkit, and I trussed him up, fastened him to a stanchion in the center of the room. Louis was of no help. He lay on his side, looking at his bloody hand, weak and sick as a baby. So there I was, a lunatic and a coward for company. And all about, watching our little drama, the rats. day dragged by. The supply boat wasn't due for another 12 days. I don't know what they could have done if they had come. And we had only one way of summoning them. That was to shoot off distress rockets. But the rockets were four floors below. And even if they'd been right there in the gallery, I couldn't have opened a window to fire them. I tended the light, but its flame was devouring our oxygen. The following day, we lay thirst-tormented, starving, waiting. And the following night, I again tended the light. But the small supply of spare wicking we kept in the gallery had become exhausted. And quite suddenly, at about midnight, the light went out. There was nothing I could do. Wicks were stored three levels below. Nothing I could do. Nothing. From time to time, I'd strike a match to see the clock. And when I did, it lit up the million red eyes about us. All about. Watching. Waiting. Below, it had grown quiet. They'd cleaned us out, and now they, too, were waiting. All waiting. And then... The rats, quite suddenly, were silent. 
and I heard it. And then I saw the sky and the stars. The rats were gone. I went to the glass. Out there on the water, a small freighter, a banana boat, showing a few lights, came softly and innocently towards us. Our light was out. They didn't know. I... I wanted to open the windows, to call out to them, to warn them somehow. But I was afraid. What if the rats were hiding from me, tricking me? So I waited. She grounded very softly on a reef not 200 yards from the quay. Grounded so gently that the man playing the cornet, was he a passenger, crewman, off watch, didn't even stop playing. They tried washing her back off. I could have told them to save their fuel. The tide was rising, would have floated her free. And I waited. That's all. That's the story. The sun came up, and there wasn't a rat on the whole key. Every last one of that terrible army had left us, gone back to sea on their new ship. August, insane asylum. He never recovered. And Louis? They took him into Cayenne where he died of blood poisoning from his bite. Yes, that's the whole of it. And if you'll excuse me now, I must go set my traps. <laughs> no, no, mouse traps. No rats in this lighthouse. I should say not. Life in the lights isn't bad. But sometimes, when I see a strange vessel approaching... I get a little nervous. Sure. Somewhere on the seas, there's a little banana boat without a crew. That is, without a human crew. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. Tonight we have presented Three Skeleton Key by George Tudus, adapted for radio by James Poe. Featured in the cast were Elliot Reed as Jean, Bill Conrad as Louis, and Harry Bartell as Auguste. Special music was arranged and conducted by Del Castillo. Next week. You are standing on the deck of a ship headed on an illegal mission to Central America. Before you, holding a gun in your stomach, is a desperate man who has just given you the choice between being killed or becoming a murderer yourself. Next week, we escape with John and Gwen Bagney's exciting tale of a murderous trio of gunrunners in Central America, Maracas. 
Goodbye then until the same time next week, when once again we offer you Escape. Stay tuned now for Life with Luigi, which follows over most of these CBS stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.